2: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your
3: first purchase. Hello everyone and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 414. The 414. That's the Milwaukee area code straight up area code in milwaukee wisconsin where we're coming to you from i'm terry miller the disc golf guy alongside johnny v and back back in our day johnny there was only what three three area codes in all of wisconsin 414-920-715 no nope. before that oh 920 got added much later that's true 414 was the southeastern Wisconsin. The Madison area. Madison was 608 and 715. That was all of Wisconsin, three area codes. Yeah. (sighs) A little history you didn't plan on Tuesday night. Here we are. Smashbox 414, (laughs) though. (laughs) Who says we're not a disc golf podcast Uh, tonight? In just a few moments, actually, we're going to be welcoming in our Great Lakes Open champion, Natalie Ryan. And then after we're done speaking with Natalie Ryan, we're going to have the Great Lakes Open tournament director. He's also the, was recently the tournament director for the Junior and Masters Worlds. Did he get and, board,
2: voted on to the board of directors again?
3: <laughs> and no, I don't think so. But uh, And he is going to be the Ledgestone Insurance Open TD, which is our next Disc Golf Pro Tour Elite Series event. Uh, of course, that's coming up right after the Mid-America, which is going to be coming up this weekend, the weekend after the massive, intense week that is Ledgestone. And I'm talking about our PDGA Board of Directors, uh, TD super guy, whatever, Nate Heinold. He
2: literally got two write-in votes, I think.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, and we'll we'll talk more about the election a little bit later, but... Um I appreciate you the the four people that wasted a vote Wait, by writing me in. How many votes came to your house? <laughs> 3 <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, there were four write-in votes. I I, I was going to say I'm not even flattered. I'm I'm a little saddened that you guys whoever did that that you wasted a legitimate vote uh and you could have applied it to one of our already uh if- eligible candidates but
2: if maybe there was there wasn't somebody that they supported that th- so yeah, that's, they, uh, thought they would fill it in
3: one way to abstain well someday i don't know if i can say mark my words but someday you'll I, think about it i'll think about maybe possibly running for a position on the board
2: i personally am going to claim all the others because people couldn't <laughs> spell my name yeah. that's all i'm claiming <laughs> just
3: <laughs> that makes sense well great So uh, again, we'll talk about that later. We got some more uh, info to get out of Nate Heinold. He's got a lot of things going on. But right now, all that matters is we have our champion, our FPO champion from this weekend, joining us for the first time in nine months. The last time she was here, she was champion of an A-tier. Now she's champion of an Elite Series event. I'm Talking about Natalie Ryan. Good evening, Natalie. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you guys?
3: Ah, we are good 414 I, episodes later
2: we're we're getting close i always love that when you come on you've got the best headset <laughs> honestly built built-in <laughs> headphones microphone don't have to worry about any echo cancellation none of that stuff you look like you're ready to to frag some people in call of duty <laughs> that's all i'm
3: saying
1: i mean i i don't want to miss out on your lovely voices i mean well, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta get all of it you know do
3: the,
2: do the kids still say frag
3: yeah are you, are you poning noobs out there do kids <laughs> still say that Nobody's no, you, you, I might
1: be. Who knows? <laughs>
3: uh, do, you, do you do online gaming? I feel like those headsets usually go hand-in-hand hand with online gaming. I
1: do a little, but it's it's mostly like player versus environment or, or enemy. It's not really player versus player for me. I, I don't really get a lot of enjoyment out of that, but I, I do a little bit of gaming on the side.
3: Okay. And uh, have you had a – already off the rails – have you had that conversation at all with uh, – Haley King, who seems to be doing a lot of gaming and then posting about it?
1: I haven't, but I might have to tonight.
3: <laughs> okay. yeah, I just know that often when we see her post, and I think that's a, legit, a legitimate form of her relaxation, is that uh, she does some gaming. She's been posting about it quite a bit. And I keep thinking if, if somehow, unfortunately, we ever lose her from a t- the tour, I feel like gaming is the place that she would go, so... Um, either way, thank you for joining us. And as I was just alluding to, the last time that we talked to you, uh, I believe it was October of, of 2021, so almost nine months ago or so, and you had just won Stafford? Is that, does that ring a bell? Uh, Down East Players Cup. Ah, I apologize. Down East Players Cup. I think we talked about Stafford at yeah. one point. You had won the Down East Players Cup. There were 14 uh, competitors in the division, and uh, that was as you said, that was your largest win to date. So yes. we talked about van life. We talked about uh, part-time and, and full-time work. We talked about the tour and, and, and you possibly ever taking down some of the best in the world to win an Elite Series event. So from your perspective, kind of fast forward through those nine months for us. What does that mean to you?
1: Oh, Lord. Um, I honestly didn't think I'd have, have ever really done it. Um, I am kind of at a loss for words when it comes to kind of describing how I've been feeling the last couple days based on that. Um, but it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I always knew I could kind of win one of the elite series events. I just never thought it would really ever happen. Uh, I don't exactly know why it's just, this one of those gut feelings I've always had in the, uh, in, in the entire year so far.
3: This year has, you know, I think back to the, the opener of this year, and I remember very vividly when I was out on the sidelines walking around that you had some form of injury and something wasn't right when we were at Las Vegas. And so yes. maybe describe a few of the, of, of the physical injuries that you've either endured or that may or may not be lingering or nagging for you in, in general.
1: Um, so yeah, this this year I've had a significant number of injuries that I probably should <laughs> look at maybe trying to fix a little a little better with my practice. Um, so it, at Vegas, I I hurt my hamstring. I, I think I it was just a pulled muscle at the time, but it, it was enough to pull me out of the event. Um, and then not even I think a month later, I had messed up something in my shoulder. I'm not even really sure what it was, but that dropped me out of uh, the Open at Belton. Um, and, and so on and so forth. There were, there were a number of of injuries that I've had this year that have kept me from really playing my best, uh, when it mattered. Um, I don't exactly know why they keep happening though. Uh, I think it's mostly just an overwork issue. So I've been kind of trying to lessen the number of practice rounds I've been playing and, and try and do more rest and recovery rather than, uh, you know, two, three rounds a day like I was last year. More putting practice seems to have been helping more recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure.
2: That's <laughs> a little easier on the body than than throwing three hundred and fifty to four hundred feet constantly.
3: Yeah, and I <laughs> guess to that point, you know, someone that's been added to the pro tour in the last few years. Uh, originally, he was around with disc golf strong, and now he's there very much as an asset to our pro tour um, athletes in a lot of ways. Is is Seth Muncy? Do do you? check in with Seth do you do any warm ups with Seth or 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 cool downs or anything of that nature or do you handle most of your you you know ailments and, and issues on your own
1: so when my initial first couple of injuries happened i had um pretty much exclusively gone to Seth for advice on uh, you know how to, how to rest how to recover how to, how to get back into the game quicker um all all of that sort of stuff and his advice was instrumental in in me getting back, you know, so quickly to Waco following Vegas and, and to, I believe it was, oh, what was it after? I had to skip Texas States after Belton. But the tournament following that, I was 100% again, thanks to his advice and his help. Um, but I haven't been going to him as much recently because I kind of have been um, uh, just using his advice Continuously, just been kind of working with what he has told me those those times, just continuously forward rather than constantly trying to bother him. Um, so it, it's been kind of helping.
3: Well, I I just think of Seth and I see him in the warm up zone and and what he's been doing, and there there are frequent visitors in there. I see some people in there every single weekend, sometimes before and after the round, and I just think about. Mm-hmm you know, truly the resource that he has become and everything that he and, you know, the Pro Tour provide in that way. And I, what do I know? But I would encourage you, I mean, I don't think it's bothering him at all. I think I would certainly encourage you to uh, try to take full advantage. I mean, we've come a long way in disc golf to now that we even have a person like him. So the fact that he's there, uh, I think you should certainly um, utilize him whenever you can. Um, One of the other big things that we talked about we talked about a lot of fun stuff, including your parkour, <laughs> yes, including yeah. locksmithing, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But we talked about touring and a van and what that meant, what that look what that might look like, and and your plans for it. So tell us where your, your van and your tour life is in, in that regard.
1: Uh so my van is actually very, very good right now. Um a couple of like a month ago or so we were having a little bit of mechanical problems with the engine but we uh we took some time off just before um uh this this previous event oh god i already forgot the name of it that's not that's not gonna be great Glow, there we go (laughs) the one you won (laughs) yeah the one i won yeah just call it just call
3: it Glow. i mean it's the discraft great lakes open but it's been known you know forever forever. as Glow. yep
1: Yep. Um, but just before that, we had actually gone home and gotten the van serviced. So the, the engine's in, in better shape than it's been in years, I'm sure. Um, so we're we're back on the road, you know, less stress, no worries about you know, stopping halfway, getting stuck somewhere. It's It's been much, much better since we got back on tour this year. Uh,
3: and what did your, you know, we were talking about your van build out, you know, if you had any inspirations, yes. if you saw any other vans, things that you absolutely wanted to have. Uh, versus maybe things that would be bonuses. We also talked about a budget on that. Do you remember any of those details, or or where are you at? And and I'll help you compare some of the the, the previous thoughts.
1: Ah, we pretty much did exactly what I think we actually mentioned uh, last time. Um, we we spent just about as much money as we thought we were going to, and and we got exactly the things we we thought we were going to need, and we don't regret any of the decisions we did make. Um, Having a a very large fridge and a full-size sink in there is huge whenever you're on tour.
3: Uh, Yeah, everybody, I feel like, has a slightly different focus. One of the most recent vans that I was in... um Somebody with candy. No. Uh one of the vans I was in though was <laughs> Kelvin Heinberg's and how he prioritized, of course, he's a taller guy, so you know, the the size of his bed and some of the things that he found most valuable as opposed to what others prioritize. It's just it's really interesting and it says a lot, I feel like, about the the overall personality. So you said a fridge and what else uh did you have in there?
1: Uh so we have a full size sink okay. with a you know, tap tap and everything. Um we we have you know seating tables food storage and a twin size bed so it's it's enough for two people to sleep in but it is a little tight but we we kind of prioritized having a little more leg room since there were going to be two of us sleeping in it year round so
3: what what would what would be your advice now that you're this far in with a van specifically and you know that there's there's hundreds of aspiring, if not thousands of aspiring men and women that are out there that thinking about getting on the tour, they see that van life seems to be the most viable way to do it. What would be your now words of wisdom and advice?
1: Um, words of wisdom, only bring what you need and what you absolutely need. Um, there are going to be things that you want and they're going to sit there and do nothing the whole time you're on tour. Um, there, we have stuff just stuffed underneath a whole bunch of boxes in the back of our trunk that we haven't touched since we left, and I keep forgetting to get rid of them. <laughs> um, but that's that's the biggest thing. Um, just just don't don't overpack. Um, travel light. Design what you want, and if you don't want it, you probably aren't going to use it.
3: So, what aren't you using? Like, did uh, yeah, what aren't what aren't
1: I using? We yeah, brought a, I, we brought a poker set. <laughs> that has sat in the bottom of our laundry bin for the entire tour
3: okay okay so you so uh either online poker is where it's at or either Just other keeping games track are... of it
2: digitally maybe somehow or paper <laughs> yeah <you know>? okay.
3: <laughs> okay okay do you play cribbage i don't i've never even heard of it actually oh geez she's not oh,
1: where okay. where
2: did where did you grow up again virginia virginia, virginia. yeah okay. so yeah, I, well, I knew you're I from virginia but Sometimes if you grow up and move there, I wasn't exactly sure. Cribbage is a Midwest game, mostly kind of, you know, that type of heritage. So it's not shocking that you have not played it or heard of it.
3: Yeah, but you need to. I guess is is where we'll go. All right. That. You know what? I'll look it up. <laughs> we'll, we'll teach you how to play. <laughs> yes, sometime. we will. Uh, Johnny and I have dabbled in cribbage tournaments. It it, it gets serious. <laughs> it's it serious. So uh, let's let's jump into a few specifics for the weekend. And and even just looking, we go all the way back to to round number one. And you shot a pretty clean round out there. The only bogey that you had was on hole number seven. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- what comes to mind when you are, you know, now have processed a few days, what comes to mind if, if when I say round number one at D-Glow, what, what do you think about?
1: I think about that bogey and how I wish it wasn't a bogey. Um, <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I, happened I there? I to not focus on my mistakes. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I miscue off the tee and then a second miscue immediately after that on the upshot um, made it it very challenging to get up and down at that point. Um, and then, yeah, uh, the rest of that is just history.
3: Yeah. Uh, and seven, so, for those that remember, uh, slightly uphill onto an initial kind of plateau, and then generally yes. you're going to have 150 to maybe 200 at most is what you should have for the approach shot yep. onto another uh, kind of hillside or top of a hill. Uh, there's danger both left and right, um, but you got to be, you got to keep that one clean, right?
1: Yeah. I, I, so the tee shot, I ended up short, low, not even up the hill. Um, so I had I had no look to get to the pin from my upshot and ended up needing to try and try and just kind of get up and down for par. And I threw it directly into the hill on the second shot. So I ended mm, okay. the same shot again, almost. Um, and that made it much, much more challenging to get the par rather than the, you know, the bogey. So, <laughs>
3: Okay, so that's round 1. Uh I mean, of course you made probably a few other minor mistakes, but the biggest mistake resulting in a bogey in that sense. What, hap- what what are you thinking when I ask you about round number 2 and your performance during that round?
1: So, round number 2, it genuinely felt like I couldn't make a mistake. Um which is something I've never actually had happen before. And no matter what shot I decided to throw or or choose to do, I couldn't miss. Um there was only, I think, one putt inside the circle that like, I really notably should have made, and that was because I thought about it a little too much. And as soon as that happened, I backed up, realized I thought about it too much, and then didn't miss any breath for the rest of the round. So I, I don't know. That it's, it's a surreal feeling when you step up to the tee, and you choose the line you want, and the disc you want, and then it does that exact same thing every single hole.
3: You know, the common phrasing, as you just described, it feels like everybody says I was in a flow state. I am not thinking about anything and essentially everything is just going right. Is is that a way you would describe it or is there some other descriptors you'd use for how things were going?
1: So I probably wouldn't describe it like that. Um, I was making a lot of different choices that I didn't make in round one. And even during practice, um, I was... Throwing the tee shots that I'd liked, but I had a lot of different lies from the fairway that I had to think about and make choices on. And those choices were just the correct ones.
3: Uh yeah, and I I'm looking, you know, looking at your stats. Nine you had, say that. Uh eighty percent scramble uh during that round, eighty eight percent C one X putting. So you, you literally just missed one putt inside C one X, and um you you had that mistake on hole eighteen of an out of bounds. So, overall, yeah, that certainly had to feel good. Do you feel as if, you know, as I'm looking at all three of your scorecards, do you feel as if there's a front or the back that plays easier one than the other on this, excuse me, on this particular course?
1: Uh, I would say the front nine for sure. Uh, The first like five holes, I want to get like all of them. Um,
3: Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't feel like a lot of people can actually say that. Because most people, I think, are just trying to par hole one. But I mean, I was attacking that every time. I didn't get it any time, but I was still attacking it.
2: Well, it's and it's reachable for most of the women. Yes, we saw Emily Beach got it all three rounds, I believe. And uh, mm-hmm. granted, she is a power lefty, and mm-hmm. it does set up a, a little bit better and easier for her. Uh, Missy Gannon, I believe, got it two yes. out of the three rounds. Um, it's mm-hmm. this this I don't say surprising, but. I feel like watching the the what we watched of the uh, FPO cards seemed to have an easier time with it than the MPO. Uh, just a, lo- a lot of the men were either blowing past it, not turning it over, going mm-hmm. right into the woods. I felt like the top two cards for FPO handled that hole better, whether it was because they, um, they dialed it back a little bit or maybe they can go harder at it and not have to worry about going out of bounds. I- I don't know, but I was very impressed with watching hole one. I had more fun watching the women play that hole than the men.
1: Yeah, no, I I believe that. Um, I I think a lot of it comes down to the women choose to lay up a bit all, more often than the men mm-hmm. will. Um, there's more incentive in MPO for them to just run every green no matter what hole it looks mm-hmm. looks like. Um, and FPO is not quite the same.
3: Correct me if I'm wrong. Haven't we seen you bust out some some well le- shorter lefty pots? Have we have we seen you with some lefty drives? Not really off the tee. No. Okay. Uh, okay. I will
1: occasionally scramble if I'm like off the fairway. I'll use my uh, left hand to forehand, but that's about it.
3: Okay. Um, is that a goal? I mean, I think you know. We obviously we we saw eagle in Europe, and he he's kind of talked about developing that. Is that a goal? Because I I feel like hole one is quite arguably the the best you know setup for a power lefty as as Emily Beach proves uh would that be a goal of yours to have that
1: um it is um this off season i'm going to be trying to develop it a little bit so that i don't have as much reliance on my forehand um i've been hurting myself a little too often with my forehand and i don't want to anymore so i'm going to try to do my best to try and learn lefty instead and well fingers crossed it works out i guess
3: <laughs> okay um b- breakdown how you, well, we'll get back to that in a minute. I want to I talk a little bit about your form. But first, let's talk about round number three. Uh, of course, you know, having, I'll say the pressures of the, the big X on your back and having the lead. And, you know, when you, to borrow a Philo term, when you've got sharks in the water, when you have Paige Pierce and others that are obviously not only have come from behind, Paige has come from behind from a, uh, from a, six-stroke deficit, I think three times or six times or something like that. It's like some absurd number. She comes back and catches people. So what what are your thoughts going into Sunday morning with, what, a four-stroke lead?
1: Yes, four-stroke lead. Um, my thoughts were I need to shoot a four-under or better. And I didn't do that, but I had strokes to spare when I decided I didn't need to do that anymore. Um. Uh, I knew that there was going to be someone charging. Uh, I just didn't know who it was going to be. Um turned out it was own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I knew I would need to be at least under par by a couple or more uh, to, to keep pace with what everyone else was going to do, either you know just behind me or chase card further out. Uh, and I did so. Um, I did so very scary, but I did that. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> talk about... Uh, you know when i think of the last round and i think of uh, you know whether you call it a match play mentality or a, or a defensive strategy or whatever you want to however you want to word it talk about the last couple of holes and and if you knew where scores were at you your caddy like what what are some of what's some of that dialogue as you're trying to close out and how are you uh, battling through it
1: um so the biggest thing that comes to mind is on hole 14 when i Kind of shanked my tee shot up the hill, um, ended up way right side, and mm-hmm. then just blasted all the way across the fairway into the rough on the left and just had to chop myself way to a birdie. I mean, a, a bogey. Yeah. Um, everyone else luckily didn't birdie that hole that round because if they had, it would have been very, very scary. But them, me losing a stroke there, uh, I knew it was within uh, either one or two, I think, at that point. I knew it was close coming through that hole. Um, so going into 15, I knew I needed to play it either very well or hope everyone else messed up and, and both actually ended up happening so that I was, had a, I had that comfortable lead going into 16. I, I think I had three or four or something like that going into mm-hmm. 16. Um, and at that point I knew I just could par out and it didn't matter really what I did off the tee or, or even on the upshots. So I just kind of coasted in at that point.
2: Yeah. Oh. There, there was a point that we were actually in the control room talking about, uh, whether or not own Scoggins was a danger from I think the second or third card um because with a few holes to go we thought I mean if if you have a rough time on 16 17 18 that brings own right back into it so we 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 were uh, we were on high alert here because lately own's been crushing it so once you got through hole 16 uh, in the control room we called it we we knew that it wasn't going to happen for uh for own and that was the only that was the only chance, because we knew that Emily, unfortunately, with with hole 18 being the hole that it is, we basically considered it not a hole. Nobody's birdieing it. We've This is the first year anyone's yeah. ever birdied it.
3: Yeah. And that was Ella mm-hmm. Hansen with a 49-footer? Yeah.
2: yeah, and Paige got it on the
3: final round. Yeah, correct. I mean, it's just yep. statistically, you're you're assuming that's a par at best. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Paige got it from circle mm-hmm. two as well. Uh,
3: so... How does that vary or differ? Let, let's just play pretend and say you're in four, you what you believe is fourth place and you've got a couple holes left to play. Are you having similar conversations with, with either yourself or your caddy in terms of, hey, here's just where I want to finish or what do I need to do to hold on to fourth or is, is third still obtainable? Are you having any of those kind of conversations or are you just head down, I, I'm just trying to birdie out?
1: Um, I definitely have those conversations. My, I, I have my caddy basically look at scores for me and then I will, I will basically just ask him where I'm at and Mm -hmm. what can I do to play my best in that moment. And he'll either let me know, Hey, just par out. You're fine. Or, (laughs) you know, birdie everything and you'll move up or, or something like that. And he won't really put it into numbers, so to speak, so that it doesn't really get in my head um and that is instrumental huge huge honestly just to to help me kind of focus on playing rather than worrying about the scores um and th- that's that's what kind of happened after hole 14 i'd asked him you know what do i need to do am i fine and he said you know just 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 play your game don't worry about what they're going to do and and that was what
3: happened i i feel as if and i've you know it it always puts a smile on my face when i hear that caddies like you just said, don't necessarily have to give a number. They can just say, you know, just keep doing what you're doing or you're fine. Like they can keep it generic enough and then that's usually code. Like, hey, just that. Just just you're fine. Keep doing what you're doing and, and uh, you know, don't stress over anything. And I think that's that's got to be one of the most satisfying feelings in the world of like hey they're mm-hmm. not telling me i need to birdie this or i don't need <laughs> to do this caddy. or That's what yeah it, it is a good caddy but i think just as a player man that that uh affirmation has to feel incredible
1: it does um hearing that knowing there were only 3 holes to go uh, i pretty much at that moment knew i kind of had it um which was a massive relief off relief off of my shoulders shoulders at that point um because i was through, up until 14, I was very, very stressed out. And I think that kind of was noticeable through that back nine. Um, made quite a few too many mistakes in that early half of the back nine and then kind of cleaned it up a little bit uh, near the end. But um, yeah.
3: Now, I often see, doesn't matter the division, I, I see popping along the music. I see big, deep breaths. I see people walking away from crowds and galleries. I feel like, I've seen most of the, the coping mechanisms for someone to calm themselves, to get centered or to get ramped up or whatever it is when they're in these high pressure situations. What do you, what do you feel like is your go-to what, what gets you calmed down? If anything,
1: I don't know if I really have a strategy to do that. Um, I think mostly it's just my, my routine. you know, after I throw basically every shot, I walk back to my bag. I get a sip of sip of uh, kind of like Gatorade, body armor, one of those kind of things. And then I will drink some water right after it and maybe have a snack. And it, it's enough of a distraction to keep me away from being stressed about playing. So that's, that's kind of how I've always kind of strategized with that. Uh, I, I never really came up with like a let's go with the music kind of thing.
3: Sure. Well, I feel like there's there's as most of our players will say to some degree there's a there's a calming security in your routine and maybe that's why routines mm-hmm. are just that they're so crucial and critical because they're that one place where everybody can reset themselves and then if they go through their routine they're trusting their their instincts they're you know going through the process whatever phrasing you want to use it feels like that's kind of something that always brings them back to it is just go through the routine um yeah now, you know, jumping into y- your success and then you saying, especially in the, in the post-run interview, you've been working hard and you said it, you know, you said it nine months ago when we had you and we got to know you a little bit more. You said that y- you feel as if you're working as hard or harder than anyone else out there in terms of hitting the practice fields, in terms of practice putting and doing those things. Do you still have that drive? And, and if so, what, is, what does that look like for you? What, what does that commitment look like?
1: Um, so I have a schedule in my phone that basically is wake up, eat breakfast, go practice. When you're done with that, eat lunch, field work, putting, all that. Go to the gym, work out, shower, and then go to bed, repeat until the tournament starts. Um, I don't feel like anyone else really has that. Not in that capacity. Like, they, they might have a, you know, let's wake up, let's figure out kind of what to do for breakfast, go go to the course maybe at this, at this time, I don't know, we'll play with this person, and then we'll go home, and that'll be it. Um, most people I don't feel like actually finish their, their round and then work on the shots that they didn't do well that day, and then, you know, practice the putts they didn't do well that day. And, and that's that's something I kind of try to focus on.
3: Where does that commitment and dedication come from where how, how are you how how do you maintain the regimen and that kind of focus
1: um so it mostly stems from knowing that there are people in this sport that have been playing it for <laughs> five times the amount of time that I have played it and it's out of a sense of needing to catch up
3: um wh- who do you have to catch up to <laughs> i mean I, I I know that sounds silly, but who are you looking yeah. at when you're talking about playing catch up? Who do you feel like you need to catch up to?
1: It's different people for different things. Um, I feel like Paige has better touch than I do. I, I feel like Owen definitely putts better than I do. I, you know it's across the board there's there's different people that are better at different things, and I want to catch up to all of them.
3: You also said in the post run interview that. Uh, Page outdrives you. You you of course uh, have talked about having power and and then some accuracy to go along with it as we look at this last course. But do you have a ceiling? Do you have a limit as to where you feel like your distance can can get to? And as you know, do you do you ever think about like what Jen Allen has done and? And, you know, with her 558-foot throw or or record throw, do you have any of those aspirations?
1: I do and I don't. Um, My main focus right now is on disc golf, you know, competition. Uh, I'm I'm not so much focused on just throwing really, really far. Um, That's never really been my focus. Well, I guess that's not entirely true. It kind of was my focus when I just started playing. But when I realized that wasn't the whole game, I stopped kind of focusing on it. I think that's every
2: new player's um, I, I, like thing. Like when yeah. you start, everybody wants to, you want to throw far, everyone wants to throw far. Like yeah, that's the coolest it thing. Cool. It's the coolest <laughs> thing yeah, when a disc exactly. comes out of your hands and it goes 400 feet, or you're like, holy, I just broke 400 or you're posting on it. Social media, you're you are disk tracking and all that stuff. Everybody wants right. to throw far when they right. start.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but after I kind of moved on from trying to throw far, um, I realized that the distance that I have now is enough. I don't need to try and throw farther and I, I don't really intend on trying to do so. Could I maybe get another like 50 feet? Maybe, but I'm not going to try and find out because I don't think I need it. Uh,
3: okay, so then I guess I'll follow that up with, what do you need? You know, if if you feel like you're, for lack of a better phrasing, would you say your distance is currently adequate? What do you feel like is, you know, I know you just said Paige has maybe better touch than you and owns a better putter. Are Are those the next, you know, kind of um, areas of focus for you?
1: Yes, for sure. Um, uh, I want better accuracy across the board. Um, I may be able to drive it really far, but if it's not an open field, I miss a lot. And that's a struggle that I have, and I'm going to try and fix it as best I can.
3: Now, uh, and, and I certainly don't want to harp on it because I don't think anybody loves it, but, you know, you you talked uh, with us a little bit about how a few weeks ago, you you weren't in a good mind frame and in a good mental space as you were competing uh, back at the Idlewild Open. W- what are some of the best ways that either you, well, what's the best way that you combat that? And then do you have advice for others? Do you, do you feel like other people maybe ignore that and try and fight through it in a different way? What What's your, what's your take on that? Knowing everyone's a little different, of course.
1: Um. So I just step away from things that's That's the best way that I handle you know being anxious or, or being depressed I, I need to you know take a few steps back, find you know something that can relax me or or remove me from the situation that is is causing it and a lot of the time disc golf is part of the reason that that's happening for me as as sad as that is you know you hear all these stories that disc golf's the one thing that saved them from that, and mm-hmm. you know being outside and exercising and, and that you know it's usually very very helpful for it but it's different in my case because of all of the you know the hate and and vitriol and all this other nonsense i i see online and get sent every day um so taking a step away from that for me is the only thing that really helps at the moment um so that's i mean that's what i did when i went home after Idlewild. I, i went home i didn't talk about disc golf for like a week we didn't we didn't really play for like a week and then i got back into it slowly and here we are i,
3: I and i almost hate to even ask this but is, is there a chance that the disc golf community could could chase you out like for the reasons you just explained is do you feel like that yeah that that could even ever happen uh
1: no i'm they might they might make me you know you know, sit down, take take a minute for myself here and there, but they're never going to make me quit this sport. This sport's so fun. I mean, throwing a disc as far as you can and, and watching it shape a line, there's nothing that beats that. Uh,
3: w- one of the criticisms that I saw was that it, it felt as almost, if if you or any, anyone for that matter at all, uh, removes themselves from a tournament that it could, Mess with the flow or the vibe, whether it's that that individual card or it's the overall tournament round for that day uh because of withdrawal does Does that concern you at all i mean is that uh, yeah D- does a does a concern of that nature um hit you at all
1: um no, not so much um because in those moments when i you know when when anybody needs to drop out of an event like that for that reason it, it shouldn't be a worry in your mind. Like you, you need to do what you need to do to be healthy and worrying about what everyone else is doing or anything like that is that's on them.
3: Yeah. I can totally understand that. I, I, I always feel like we always know what's best for ourselves and whatever that might be. And, and somebody else, doesn't need to understand that it it might impact or negatively in some capacity affect someone else. But at the end of the day, like you, you have to look out for number one, whatever that is. And if that means you have to withdraw mm-hmm. yourself from a tournament or remove yourself from a situation, I, I very much can understand that. And I think exactly as you said, you, you have to do what's the best possible solution for you. Um, The, the, the rest of the season is, you know, we're, Uh, two-thirds yeah roughly two-thirds of the way through the season how how excited are you i mean when i think about like the uh
2: ledgestone world yeah not just the events but you
3: know how much of a of a boost does an event like this last one in the win give you how how much are you looking forward to the the next swing here or the next uh handful of events
1: i have been looking forward to it since we started because they are the events I played last year. And I feel like I have a little bit more, you know, knowledge of the courses. So I don't need to practice as much, um, which will be massive because then I can actually, if you know, focus on, you know, rest recovery, all that other stuff I talked about earlier. Um, but I also know that, you know, GMC is probably my favorite event of the year by far. Those courses are just gorgeous. And there's, there's no place just quite like that. Uh, and I, I don't know. Uh world's coming up soon. It's the uh the 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 anxiousness is getting up there a little bit, but it, it's it's going to be a great great finish to the year, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you start thinking about the, you know, the the East Coast swing, the golf that gets played out there, we st- we have a little bit of openness, we have a lot of woods, uh we have slightly cooler temperatures. I just I feel like you know, it's it's just entirely part of the overall season, and it's like we we shift into a, just a whole other uh, dimension of the season well, as every, we push forward.
2: Everybody knows fall golf is the best golf. Yeah, I mean, You're just silly <laughs> if you think otherwise. <laughs> if you yeah, I mean, spring golf is too wet. Yep. Summer golf is too hot. Fall golf is the best golf.
3: Yes, That yeah, that makes perfect,
1: perfect temperature, sense. like oh, mm-hmm. gorgeous trees everywhere. What more do you
3: need? I, I, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, how do you like your chances in terms of future events? I mean, you've now, you know, you said it in the interview that you feel like you belong and how do you like your chances as you, as you stack up against other events and, and we'll say other course challenges.
1: Um, I like them. I like them a lot, honestly. Um, after this, this weekend, seeing the, you know, positivity actually, and I I was a little surprised about it. Um, it it vastly outweighed the negativity that I usually see whenever I do something well. Um and and to notice that for once, it kinda of fills me with a little more confidence than I expected. Um so going forward, I'm I'm planning on, you know, full steam ahead. Let's try to do my best in every event instead of, you know, worrying about what everyone else thinks is gonna
3: happen. When you talk about that positivity and and feeling some of that, you know, we'll say love, what is that is that on site? Is that online? Is that, um, you know, where where does that come from? How are you embracing that? And where is it coming from?
1: Uh, so as much as I probably shouldn't, I look at just about every comment that everyone posts pretty much across Why? the board online. You
2: know. Why? What, what? No, I mean, um, use, well, is, this is another perfect use for a caddy. <laughs> Right, like you don't yep. have to look at scores, you it don't sure have to is. look at comments. Like, just hand the phone to him, and be there. You go.
1: I won't look during the round, and I won't look during the tournament. But as soon as the tournament's over, I'll look. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised this time to actually see that you know people were standing up for me without any any you know you know incentive to do so. And and it was it was honestly really really nice to see. Um, but like you know, even just nine months ago after winning that that eight here there was a lot a lot worse of a reaction for just that and seeing the positivity come out from winning the this year is it's massive
3: i i'll be the first to admit i'm i have i'm almost to a, a copy and paste uh <laughs> version of this like a response in terms of a response and and i i feel like i I I kind of very loudly blurted this out a few weeks ago and I'll say it in a slightly more polite version this this week. And, and it, please correct me if you disagree with it, but the there continues to be a conversation about the policy. The policy which you fully abide by and you you play under the rules that are set forth in front of you. And we'll talk more about this, you know, probably with Nate in terms of you know, policies and subcommittees and everything. But the point is there's a policy that's in place. And if people want to have a civil discussion, yourself included, want to have a civil discussion about the policy, I think that's a hundred percent viable as it is going on in almost all sports. My problem is when people want to make it about the person and they want to make it about you personally, and they want to tear you down and they want to, you know, call names and do all the terrible things that you already know are happening to you. Policy over the person is what I keep saying. And I guess what I want to ask you is, do you feel that's a fair way to word it? Is that a, is that a conversation? Or how would you reply if, if you saw me posting that and said, you know, where I say, let's talk about, we can maybe talk about policies, but let's let's quit bullying and destroying the person, you or any of our other uh, trans athletes. How would you respond to that? And be be blunt with me, please, too.
1: Oh, I, I think what, what you've just said, that, that is the perfect way to respond to that. Um, because a lot of the time, they don't actually care about the policy. They just don't want me to play. Um, and they do so in a way, they, they comment in a way that makes it sound like they're worried about the policy. But in reality, they're just being hateful. Um, so making it about the policy to them, you know, when they follow up with that, with that follow-up reply to to your comment, when you're talking about just make it about policy, they'll still mention you know me and me being a cheater or something like that and then it's very clear to anyone any outside onlooker that sees that conversation that the person that's talking about you know me in general is just an idiot <laughs> uh they
3: they want to make it so personal and yeah what i what i i wish just people could understand that there's a separation and somebody said it earlier today to me That you happen to right now, you're you're the especially after winning, you're the face of this conversation, and you've been very bold and very brutally honest and upfront with with us, and I'm sure with with plenty of other people.
2: Nova thanks you, by the way. Yeah, she she's on the board. She's like, it was a few weeks ago. I was getting it. Now it's Natalie. Yeah, and passed on.
3: And and at maybe even an increased level because of the Elite Series. Congratulations, Nova, to your your play as well. But Nova
2: won a world championship. I, I know that's what I'm saying.
3: <laughs> but my point is, it's it's just it's so it's just disheartening to see that they they can't separate and that you're not a yeah. a, a, a villain. Or a, to to quote you, you said you know you you don't want people to they to see you as a monster. And right. is I guess my question, if I can find one here, would be. When people do challenge you with saying it's either an advantage or they or any of the other hundreds of you know versions of comments that you see, do you have a a stock response? Do you have any anything pointed or specific you'd like to address everybody with on this platform?
1: So the the biggest thing that I like to kind of harp back to is that you know I, I mentioned this in the you know the post round interview after winning um, that I don't do anything in this sport better than everyone else in it. I I'm good at a couple of things, but I'm not the best at any one thing. I I throw far, but there are people that throw farther. I can putt well, but there are people that putt better. Like when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm not, you know, incredibly good. Like they think I am, I'm not, you know, I don't have an advantage. They they seem to think I have something that makes it easier for me to do all these things. But I can promise you when I throw 430 feet, I am putting every ounce of my being into that disc. And I'm sure there are many other people out there that do just the same thing.
3: Yeah. And I it naturally, and again, I I've, I've said this now for a few days, I feel like a lot of people You know, traded in their online degrees that they got during COVID to now become psychologists and biologists. So we can all spew all the same words about about you know puberty and fast twitch muscles and hip structure and bone structure and all of those things. And I and I'm not I'm not dismissing them. Clearly, those are all parts of this overall conversation. And I'm not saying they're not. But those are the things that people immediately go to and then say that that's where your advantage comes from. And uh, you're saying that you don't, you don't feel that's the case, especially with the therapy and everything else that you've gone through. Is that what you're telling us?
1: I don't feel that way. Um, <laughs> they may give me small advantages. I don't know because I'm not a scientist. Um, I'm not going to pretend here that I know better than, you know, people doing research. Um, if someone wants to do that research and tell me that that's the case, sure. You know, by all means I'll listen. Um, but in the same vein, like, I'm not, I'm not incredible in this sport at every single thing like MPO players are like hormones have in fact made me considerably weaker just overall. They've made me a little bit shorter. Like there are, there are small things that happen to the body that hormones affect that people don't understand that they can affect. Like my, I dropped two shoe sizes, you know, like there, there are Crazy, wild things that hormones mess with, and people just think that oh well, it's just removing the testosterone. That's that's the only thing that that that, that does, and that's just not true.
3: Now, n- nothing more than just genuine speculation because we've talked about and we've heard all sorts of different solutions. Every and I feel like there's three main solutions that have been thrown out there. You know, mm-hmm. one, everything stays as it is. Two. There, there becomes a, a transgender division that's exclusive uh, for transgender athletes or three you play in the MPO division. I feel like those are the three, uh, as far as I know of, those are the three main um, things that are suggested or thrown out there. Do, do you feel mm-hmm. strongly about a- any or all of those solutions? Do you, how, how, how do you view those when, when you see those or have those constantly uh, thrown out there?
1: So those second two, basically, are the ones that I have issues with. Um, go figure. But a, a trans division isn't really something that is a solution. It's it's kind of like it's it's segregation at at its core. Um, it's it's removing us from either division because you don't feel like dealing with us. Um, and then we have a division of two, and no one watches it because there's a division of two. Um, and then. The us playing M- MPO, uh, like, no one will sign up because we aren't competitive in MPO because we are literally taking, you know, you know, per- performance reducing, you know, drugs basically at this point. Um, so we can't be competitive in MPO. So why would we play MPO? Okay, um, it, it's another way to remove us from you know visibility, which is mostly all they really want.
2: I, I guarantee you, if there were a separate division, a separate trans division, and it started to get funding, you would hear these same people complain that they're taking money away from other divisions.'ve I've, you, yep. you, you can already see you can already see it because this same discussion was had about FPO when When the money started flowing to FPO to help promote the FPO mm-hmm. field, there were a ton of people that were screaming that it's not fair. MPO has more players. MPO is getting the spotlight. They should be getting more money. Right. So the minute we start taking uh, resources and whatever and directing it towards a a trans division, we're gonna have all these same arguments all over again. I I, I don't right. see that as a viable solution right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like there's there, there there just isn't a solution that's the best for everybody. No no one's no one's. Like, not, not everybody's opinion is going to be satisfied with whatever result happens. Mm-hmm. Um, my take on that is, why would we exclude people based on a few?
3: Yeah, and, and I think that becomes the one of the major points of conversation here is, you know, other words that often are are utilized within this entire conversation and, and sometimes very much within uh, with it good intentions, people talk about inclusivity, also talking about fairness, and then and then I feel like from there we can always have an argument about w- what's fair. I mean, your version of fair versus Johnny's versus mine versus you know Johnny's wife and his kid here in his house. Everybody could define fair slightly differently, and I think that makes it uh, just a slippery slope in itself. Um, I, I I'm going to say this for the hundredth time as well. I don't feel like I have a perfect solution. I certainly don't. I, I don't have any degrees. I don't have any research. I don't have any background in this. Um, I may have feelings just like everybody else does. But at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to a subcommittee that is going to take in now more research, as talked about today. And mm-hmm. our elected officials in our, our subcommittee and the people that are doing this for a living are going to be the ones that are kind of going to not only update the policy or maybe not even update, but just uh, reiterate whatever the policy is and if there's changes that go along with that. So I guess the follow-up to all of that is, no matter what a policy says as early as 2023, maybe it's a dumb question, but are, are, are you good with standing by however the policy gets... Gets released, whatever it says. I have no. Nobody has any idea what it's going to say because it's only being drafted.
2: Or, or if it's, or if
3: there's even going to be a new policy. Or if there's even going to be a new policy. Let's say there is. Is there? Is there anything that that you would? I don't want to say vehemently against because there probably, obviously there are. Um, what would be the worst case scenario? Maybe that's the best way to put it. What would be the worst case scenario? if a new policy comes in and is enacted in 2023 for you personally, what do you feel like is worst case scenario? Uh,
1: worst case scenario is I'm not allowed to play FPO. Um, if if that comes to fruition, I would probably just stop playing the game. Okay. I mean,
3: I don't, I don't I'm clearly they're They're, they're drafting. I, I know nothing about any of the, the scenario. And I don't know where it's going. But all I know is, especially after seeing a post today, both the PDGA and the Pro Tour have basically said there's a committee on it. It was assembled months ago. They're gathering research now. And if there's a policy update, it wouldn't be enacted until the beginning or until 2023. So maybe the follow-up to that is, maybe it would never even happen. But have you had any conversations with the committee? In in any sub uh, or,
1: I've taken a survey for them. Um, it was fully anonymous, but I have taken it. Um, I'm not going to share any of my responses clearly, but mm-hmm. yeah, they 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 sent a survey out for you know just just general trans people across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, just see, wanted to see what our feelings were on you know how fair the current system was and and, and so forth. Um, and I, you know, I filled it out as honestly as I could, sent it off, and I'm hoping that that helps as as much as I. Feel like it would, um but I don't know. I don't know how they're going to vote or, or how they're going to recommend it or any of that. I just I hope it's in you know in the side of inclusivity. That's all.
3: Okay. Um. Is is there? You know, we'll we'll start to wrap up. It's already been an hour, which feels like time flies here. I told you. I told you I when, know, we did, I when
2: we when we did our our little pre check. Terry's like, we'll chat for a half hour. And I laughed. And I said, she's been on Smashbox. She I understands. Have, I just know
3: we have a busy night. Um, but uh, is there anything, and, and it, it clearly does not have to be anything, um, you know, transgender related, just anything in general that you'd like to share with the world, anything, um, you know, whether it's setting anything straight or, or just sharing with the world that may or may not be even disc golf related, anything you want to share with us?
1: Um well I kind of just want to say that sports aren't fair. Um to all the people that are out there trying to pretend like sports are, you know, inherently super fair. People are born with natural advantages over other people. Just even within the women's division, just you know cis women have other advantages over cis women. Everyone has something in their corner that they can rely on when it comes to competition or, or throwing or any any sort of mechanical sort of stuff like that. It, they try to harp on me for you know, some advantage they think I have that they can't prove I have. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I have something or not, as long as it is within the realm of competition for the FPR division, it shouldn't, should not matter. Um, that's, that's kind of my stance on that. I just wanted to. No, that
3: I appreciate that. And, and, and maybe just to drill down announce further on that it, by some advantages, you could talk about somebody being, of a certain frame size, someone being taller, someone having bigger hands, smaller hands, like all of those different, are those some of the the things that you might be referencing?
1: Yes, exactly. For example, I mean, the, 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 the biodiversity within, you know, the subset of, of women is, and, and then the biodiversity of the subset of men, you know, they, those, those two things overlap a lot. Uh, those two regions, they, they overlap a lot. Like, the The best man, sure, is going to be better than, you know, the best woman. But, you know, the middle road, you know, MPO player or something like that is, or not MPO, but the, the middle of the road, like, subset of men is not going to be better than the best woman. Like, that's that's how these things are. The, the you know, like overall biodiversity of humans, just in general, has a ton of overlap between the genders. And people seem to think that they are much farther apart than they are.
2: Do you, do you think there's a chance... And we're we're getting off in la la land here. That regardless of what the PDGA says, the DGPT does something different.
1: Oh, um, because
2: we I I, could
1: I don't see, know enough. really
2: yeah, I could see a world where the where the PDGA says this is the policy, and the DGPT says, "Cool, we're the top elite level of players, and we feel that you know trans athletes can compete." Um. Maybe it's different for B tiers or C tiers or A tiers. I I don't know what the right answer is, and I don't know. I trust me, being a small part of the DGPT as we are, um, we don't have any of those answers. I I would just be curious as if that's even a possibility. And I was actually kind of directing that at Terry and not you so much, um, because I know Terry would probably have maybe a, a slightly more insight into that. And than- yeah, I
3: I don't know, and and I'll just quickly maybe. Uh, say to both of you i there there have been those calls there have been you know somebody's even on the board right now saying well you know the DGP is going to pull away from the approach t- or from the from the PDGA and they're going to be separate entities and therefore going to have entirely separate rules i personally don't see that happening i it, it took a lot oh, of years I to do. to just have not anytime
2: soon okay I, I, well, I don't i don't see it in the next 5 to 7 years uh
3: yeah i mean i just they worked hard to coexist and to be becomes synonymous and the pro tour to become the professional tour of the disco, of the, of, of the PDGA. Like, I don't know, but that, that's a lot of what ifs, you know, and one of the best lines I heard today, and I feel like this is very applicable to a lot of straw man arguments and a lot of things you probably read online as well. Natalie is let's l- instead of talking about what ifs let's talk about what is and I just thought that was a really powerful statement. It was coincidentally by, a, by an FPO player that I talked to earlier today. And to me, it was a really powerful statement because there's a lot of people that can say a lot of what ifs and make a lot of straw man and just outlandish, unrealistic what if scenarios. And I just feel like that's not dealing in reality. And those are dealing with extremes rather than dealing with where we are right now. But that's how I feel.
2: I want to end this on a slightly more upbeat note, maybe, and maybe more light, Um, even though this might be an awkward question. Natalie, how many of those Neptune shirts do you have? 38. You wear the same shirt every day, and I'm praying that this isn't awkward, that you're going to say one, and everyone's going to be grossed out. So please tell me, how many of those shirts do you have?
1: I have like six of
3: them. Okay, um, I just wear
1: the same <laughs> one every day because I love it. Um, but I will have more coming soon.
3: Some new stuff. I I was just, and okay. that that's perfect. And Good. I that's a,
2: I, that's the answer I wanted <laughs> to hear. I didn't want to hear anything less than three. <laughs>
3: All right, no, I I do want to that perfectly segues because I knew what the answer was. I want to segue into just describe the meaning to the shirt. You just said it's your favorite. Describe the meaning and and. How people can uh, pick up their own and support you. So, give us the backstory there, please.
1: So, that's the first piece of like you know professional athletic wear that I've ever had made for me. Um, so, it, it's always going to have something kind of special to me. It's, it's got the you know it, the trans flag stripes across it, and not a lot of people seem to know that, but that is the trans flag, you know, striped across it um, in in the shape of an N, which you know. Good on that, and it's got my logo on it, which is the first logo I've ever had. Um, so it it's a special one for me, for sure. Um, I'm going to be wearing it forever, I'm sure. Um, but um, if if you'd like to pick one up, you can head over to, uh, to VII.com. Uh, they they are viiapparelcompany.com, I believe, is actually what it is. Uh, they should have it in their shop.
3: All right, and and I I do appreciate that because I think. I think a lot of people have gotten hung up on seeing you wear it and not ever thought about the much deeper meaning meanings, plural, as you just described. And um, and I love the idea. And I've seen other people uh, have picked it up and, and wear it and support you. And um, so we very much want to get that plug in there that if people want to continue to do so, that they can head up, uh, head over there. Johnny V's even got it up on oh, screen here for is. everybody. Um, there is the shirt the Natalie Ryan Jersey and you can pick one up as well so or pick up 3 right away or pick up 6 right away whatever the case might be um yeah I, isn't it funny would i fit into an xl or do i need to go two isn't it funny what <laughs> Shut up, Miller. like of all the things what our disc golf um, fan base concerns themselves with do, do you ever i i want it is even, a little bit yeah i yeah i'll, I'll just leave it there I, I don't even want you to answer that cuz i know the answer Natalie, uh, we thank you. We thank you for, you know, not only your incredible play, but your honesty, your, your perspectives and you being an open book. And then maybe more importantly to everyone else out there that you provide an inspiration to, uh, I say it all the time and I'll say to you again, I, I can't imagine what you go through on a daily basis. I, I've been really worked up thinking about scenarios and situations just these last 2 days and i i then reminded myself that's a millionth of what you deal with and i'm i'm just a a random guy here and i i i do wish you the best in that just keep being yourself and um inspiring so many people you no matter we all know it we've all got our haters no matter what you do but Terry told me somebody
2: um, called me Antifa on a board. Yeah. <laughs> but John is your co-host who's basically Antifa. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't know.
3: Yeah. So, <laughs> Natalie, um, congratulations. Thank you for being the spirit that you are. And uh, we're looking forward to the rest of the season from you. And uh, as always, uh, win, win, lose, or draw. You're always welcome here on Smashbox. We appreciate you. And uh, have a good night.
1: Same to you. I All really right. appreciate you guys letting me come on here and, and having, a, having this conversation again. It, it's been a pleasure. Always All happy. Right.
2: Thank you. Always. Hope have so, a good night. If we're lucky, it's the last time we have to have it, right? Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All
2: right. Have a good night, Natalie. Thank you.
3: Good night. All right, guys. Natalie Ryan, uh, congratulations again to her. If, if, if I'll just say it, and I... I I banned a few people tonight. Th- so. that, yeah, that's fine. Um, I, um, I appreciate anyone that can have a civil conversation, and I, I, I just wish we had more of them. And we can agree or disagree. I, I think this applies to so many, so many facets of life. This isn't just about uh, gender, and and it can be applied to literally hundreds of other subjects. But I think starting with uh, a little bit of uh, humility and a little bit of uh, civil discourse is always a good place. And when you open up with a with a an unoriginal meme that's been posted three hundred and forty nine thousand other times, not only are you just that you're unoriginal, but um, it, it's it's. It's an impossible way to have a civil conversation at that point, and and I I get it. Everyone's going to agree or disagree, and I'm I'm right here to listen to again civil discourse and and have those serious conversations. But let's be humane about it, and um, yeah, that's not just for Natalie. I think that's for everybody. So we appreciate all of you um, who who could find a way to still keep it uh, on the up and up here.
2: I almost banned Dan Mao because he said that all disc golf in Minnesota is better than Wisconsin. Yeah, that's a bannable offense it's as well. Very. I was so close, dude. So uh,
3: close. <laughs> that is definitely. So I'm going to take two seconds here. Uh, Johnny, you got other... Why don't you, why don't you hit on some MPO stuff while I give you guys... Um, well, real quick... I get set up with Nate Heinold after you finish off on the FPO stuff. Yeah,
2: let's talk about FPO real quick. Obviously, Natalie having uh, a great weekend and winning, shooting 18 under par. Own Scoggins, who... Whether she likes it or not, I'm going to mention it. Um, Qualifies for FP40. Is our FP40 world champion. Takes tied for second with Emily Beach. Emily Beach playing some really good golf. Power lefty. Um, Just fun to watch off the tee. Obviously, own probably getting it done on the green. I actually haven't even looked at her stats. But out there, it feels like she's keeping it inbounds and she's sinking putts from everywhere is my imagination. Uh, fourth place, a tie between Paige Pierce and Valerie Mondejano. Sixth place was Sarah Hokum, which for a crusher course like this, um, I feel is a really good finish for Sarah. Just, yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, she,
3: just going to say, I'm looking over at her lack of bogeys and mm-hmm. uh, sprinkles in a bunch of uh, a bunch of pars. Yeah, some solid work.
2: Yeah, she, she's not usually a fan of these bigger, longer courses, but obviously Sarah shooting very, very well. Uh, Macy Veladia's another uh another big arm out there. She's, you know, and, and a decent punter as well. It's fun to see her kind of starting to uh get into her own. Tied with Katrina Allen in sixth, as well as obviously Sarah Holcomb. Ninth place, Kat Merch. tenth place, Holland Hanley, uh another crusher. So you can kind of see a maybe a small mm, thread of there be this being favorable to some longer arms. So congratulations to all the women who competed. That's a grueling course. Trust me, it's
3: uh, yeah for the guy who has, has never walked s- it.
2: I've walked Toboggan. Not oh that, yeah, yeah.
3: Sorry, sorry. Not that particular. Two, in two thousand, you yeah. played a few when, holes there. When, when,
2: I played an entire two rounds, one round, two rounds. I, forget. I
3: think they cut you.
2: Well, maybe it was only one round and I got caught. I don't remember. I didn't bother to look. Uh, but yes, that, that looks like a grueling course. Yeah, um, there you go. That's better. <laughs> uh, let's go. You over. did not
3: walk 109 holes of it no, like God, I No, God, no, I did not. And and, and, and to be fair. And you don't look like you did either. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I didn't fully walk 109 holes. Our cameramen did. I I took That's a shortcut. They, they, I took a shortcut here and there.
2: I think the cameraman only only like they got to cut out two or three holes. That's true. They, they did
3: the Smashbox shuffle. They did the Smashbox
2: shuffle. So on hole one and two, where you go down and then back up, they would reverse. And so yeah, you know they're basically still, just you know still, just getting a vacation practically.
3: I <laughs> had I had what sixty sixty one holes of golf there in June with the Amnats, and a hundred and nine holes of golf there uh, this last weekend. I've had enough of the toboggan. We'll see you next year is what I'm trying to say. I
2: I don't think anyone is sad to (laughs) to leave that course. Like it's a, it's a great course and people seem to like it, but I think by the end of the weekend, you're not sad to drive away.
3: I was trying to, you know, it is a, a valid question. If there's any more consistent elevation and challenge on the tour. And I, there, I don't think there is.
2: Philo had even mentioned that he feels that that is one of, if not the most grueling course that the, dgpt plays i don't Just know up and down constantly there's no-
3: 170 holes yeah. there and i'm still so, overweight uh, well, slightly
2: i don't know <laughs> so you're saying all right I, com- so you're saying i should get the 2xl natalie <laughs> cover cover, cover let's
3: let's uh oh. chat on the men's side then we'll bring in our td uh,
2: let's go to we'll go over to mpo real quick <laughs> kelvin Heinberg, um coming back from europe and you know winning in it took him an extra hole but that's kelvin style lately Yep, one extra hole um, don't get into a playoff with Calvin is, is the uh, the motto now. Uh, second place, Corey Ellis. Unfortunately, what, a quarter of an inch that he uh, he was out of bounds?
3: He, I didn't look at it, but it I was, w- that's what he had said, so I'll believe him.
2: It honestly almost looked as if, and I did hear that it hit the boards and bounced back, yep. but it almost looked as if, when it bounced back, it pushed grass and even maybe moved the line just a hair. Uh, enough where you, you know, you, it's out. It, the line is clearly visible on one side, okay, yeah. but it was that close. It was that close. And uh, ultimately, Corey not able to get it done in, ex, in extra holes like Calvin did. So it's second place. Third place is Ricky Wysocki uh, shooting a 10 down to, to jump up, just like Gavin Rathbun in fourth place. He shot a 10 down as well. Tied for fourth was Adam Hammes. Sixth place, Kyle Klein. always the bridesmaid. That guy was very, very close again this year. Andrew Marweed, as I said, coming into his style of courses. This is his time of year. Uh, Don't sleep on Marweed. I think he's going to kind of, you're going to see him finishing up in those uh, top 10 places much more frequently now coming up. Paul McBeth shooting an unstellar final round to drop down to seventh. He was in contention for the first few holes, but then unfortunately just couldn't get anything going. Brody Smith. Talk about as they, you know, I think the ultra world calls it horses for courses. Big crusher course. Brody has it and played very well. Putted pretty decent. um, Ultimately, was able to get to ninth place. Congratulations, Brody. Simon rounds out the top ten. It appeared that that final round, Simon was going for a few more Simon lines. You know, yeah. At a certain point, he he, he... when he got about halfway through that course, I kind of felt like I heard someone say. Simon's just throwing now. And and it it was just he knew he wasn't winning and he wanted to take some bigger lines. So, you know, that's uh, that's life. So,
3: well, um, I I noticed that as well. Whole 15, for instance, very much a Simon line and and him getting a little and that's fine. Did somebody ask, is that fair? Like that, he that, can just give up and then start throwing ridiculous lines
2: into the OB where people have to sit and it slows everything down. Is that like? Is that? Yeah, I mean, it, you 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 can't. You he can't is penalize not, somebody for that.
3: No, but. he is not. You know, six putting on the final hole to then have it get outside of his no, standard deviation for his rating. That. He's not doing something nefarious of that line. He's just taking. I mean, could you say the same thing when somebody keeps going for a tin cup scenario Correct. when they could move forward? Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah, I, I before we Nate Heinold here is uh,
3: in our disc bearing digital green room. And I,
2: I need to read. I missed a, a letter in his name. Oh, wait, did I? Is that how you spell it?
3: I don't know. Sure.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like that looks wrong, but um, I have to ask the burning question. What was the disc you found when Paige Pierce yelled, Terry, find my disc? You went in but came out with a different disc. What I was did. the disc and what did you do with it?
3: I kept it. No, you. Uh, Oh, hey, my favorite jack wagons. Thanks for getting me fired up. There's some jack wagons that that don't know what they're talking about. I will. But uh, took that clip. Yeah, sorry. They took that clip and then said, oh, he doesn't have any integrity. That's just like him. F you save women's golf or whatever. your (laughs) ridiculous. Oh, you guys are so disgusting. Anyway, it was a joke. I turned it in. It was a, an ESP Force with no name on it. So I got hit up earlier today about it. Uh, somebody had asked if it was a different Zeus or a big Z Zeus. It was an ESP Force with no name. And I jokingly said, oh, there's no name. This is going in my collection, to I... which the commentator said Terry wouldn't bother, which I wouldn't. Of no. course, I wouldn't. I don't care. I don't need another ESP Force. But when you're... <laughs> As bright as some of the other people that we deal with, yep. and they I, want I to snip the, the clip, and then they want to go out there and say, "Oh, he's got no integrity." I didn't know what it was, but, Gosh, I, but you guys talk about integrity. Get a clue. Uh, I'd even said,
2: "I'm like, there's t- first of all, <sighs> if if it somehow made it to Terry's car, it would probably never come out because um, it would be there for months. But there's no reason, Terry. I said Terry probably just dropped it off
0: the. And even if found. I did
3: keep it, t- technically, technically, yeah. it's got no name and it was if, left and abandoned on a course i wouldn't and i don't need it but i didn't but even then one would argue well no no name no number seems it seems like a disc you been, could
2: keep and it shouldn't have been then it should not have been thrown on In during theory, the tournament yeah. it probably wasn't there cuz every, theory. But every no, disc needs to be marked i didn't keep it didn't. all right let's get nate fine on the uh, on here before you go off any further i just uh, people with, are so <laughs> We need to stop him, Nate. We need to stop him. So without any further ado, we're bringing on our uh, our, our board of directors. What's he considered? The, the president of the board of directors? I'm I, not
3: giving him any extra titles. I don't know. He runs some tournaments. He runs Put two him on tournaments.
2: And, 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 you know, a lot of them have a lot of payout. And he travels. And he's got this big thing. And Nate Heinold, how you doing, buddy? Hey, buddy. You're muted, Nate. We don't Nate, hear you.
3: We, d- we don't hear you for some reason. This is our best interview ever with Nate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's cheering. I don't know why, but uh,
3: uh, there might be a button or double something. Double check your
2: microphone um, that it's on the right microphone. I'm just going to do this real quick.
3: All right. Well, he checks that. Yep. Nate, you're off screen. You're good. Uh, see yep. if you can get it figured out. Yep.
2: Well, once I start seeing audio, I will. Uh,
3: or maybe hit refresh and it might ask you to use uh, to allow your microphone or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have Nate on in just a moment uh, as we were just alluding to. Nate. Uh, a couple weeks ago. There is I see some audio coming from Natalie. All that, right. I think we'll now. welcome him back then.
2: All right, Nate. Say something once real quick. <laughs> not a lot not not a lot of audio coming out of that. Not a lot of audio. Go ahead and say it. I'm seeing that Natalie didn't have a problem, Nate. I'm just saying. Natalie didn't oh, have a problem. Come, oh, oh, come, oh wait, I heard a click. There you there go. There
0: it is. You guys sorry. Now you're good.
2: Yeah, power. I, <laughs> I guess you have to plug the uh Hanging all the way,
0: so... All right. Uh, well, that you, you, gets me been... all the
3: time.
2: I took down the whole DGBT one time like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, again, officially welcoming in Nate Heinold. Nate, I was just going to say, a couple weeks ago, hosted the Junior and Masters Worlds in the Peoria area. This weekend, you and a sizable staff and crew joined the other staff and crew um, that was already in Michigan, but you brought more people from Peoria to host the 40th annual Discraft Great Lakes Open presented by Grip Six, and then in like what a week and a half, it's it's Ledgestone time. How you doing? Um,
0: yeah, wow, uh, I am awake, uh, but uh, <laughs> I literally fell asleep on my computer last night at two thirty. I I finished bells in the in reviewing. the the reports for the event and then yeah we are on to the next one
3: i feel like the d glow event because of course we're on the disc golf pro tour side we're we're featuring the mpo the fpo divisions that's where the spotlight is that's what we do but there was also an event with over 800 amateurs being played at three or four or five other courses
0: yeah i mean it's um D you know Degla will be the third largest event of the year in terms of competitors uh the second largest will be Junior Master Worlds and then the the largest will be Ledgestone so we had 831 amateurs at five courses and so um that kind of got lost in the shuffle because toboggan takes a lot of the oxygen but yeah we had a lot going
3: on Yeah literally lots of oxygen out there while you're on the on the hillsides w- you took this over this year, right? This was the first time last,
2: last year. Last just year. kidding,
3: last year. W- Even I why? That. Why? Why are? Why is a tournament director from Peoria area taking over an elite series event in uh, just outside of Detroit, Michigan?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously Discraft. That's been their event for now four decades, and you know, I'm obviously I work closely with them. But I mean, the bottom line is, I I think that our team uh, does a phenomenal job. And I honestly thought we could do um, an amazing job. And so really, I think I've built kind of this engine that runs events. And I think we have, I would say, a competitive advantage um, with scale, especially, and other things like that, that allows us to not lose money by running these large events.
3: And we'll compare and contrast that slightly to most events are hosted by usually one or two people in charge, and then maybe a, a, a large or small army of club members and volunteers. And I feel like you've created a, um, a mix of having local, but also paid staff. Right. And that that's kind of been your, uh, you know, your recipe for a few years now, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely. We, I have, I think, 20 people on my payroll now, my direct payroll, and then we use a lot of paid staffers for the events that are not just from Peoria, to be honest. I mean, I've got Kayo from Missouri and Jason from Indiana, and I got people from Wisconsin and, you know, Michael from Mississippi. And, you know, I I have a lot of people that come from other states. And so um, I've created a nice little team and I certainly couldn't, do it without them but i think that is the model the, the model of a club running a big event um it's just not possible to do to do it the right way because it takes so much time and and you can't do it for free
3: yeah and i i guess some would say you know as a guy myself who's run 300ish tournaments throughout the last few decades the models the model today is very different from the model from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago well, What did you see in the previous models, and then how how did you adapt and and push them forward to where you are now?
0: I think the previous model, you know, you had these clubs or these this small circle that cycled in every two or three years. So, you know, the first big ledgestone I ran, twenty fifteen, let's be honest, it didn't go that well, and so we learned from those mistakes, made it better in twenty sixteen, but it still you know wasn't great, and so I think by the time those club people cycle out, they've learned everything and now they're gone and they got burnt out because they were doing it as a volunteer and storing stuff in their garage. And and so the mod- that model is still employed some places, but it just doesn't work because even if you run a PDJ major one time, you learn so much by doing that, but then you're done and you, and, and you may not do it again ever um, or you may get so frustrated by, complaints or bickering or whatever that you don't want to do it again but when you run it a second time or a third time I mean it really becomes I wouldn't say easy but when we ran pro you know master junior worlds here just a few weeks ago I mean it was 1100 players but I wouldn't say it was easy but it was a lot it was a lot easier because of the events we've ran the last five years
3: and when you're talking about that scale you're talking about that many people especially in that case you're talking about two very different demographics you're talking about everybody under the age of 19 and then everybody over the age of 40 and just just very different everything right Uh, naturally there's going to be not only hiccups but then there's there's probably going to be some legitimate concerns or complaints i i'm guessing um some maybe are more trite or or lighter than others, but some are probably very legitimate. What are, what, what does your list of notes look like? And, and how do you constantly try and improve <laughs> on those? And
2: what do you use to keep these notes on? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this like an in your iPhone notes or do you have a separate <laughs> app? I need to know these things.
3: <laughs> yeah. Is this I mean, in a spreadsheet it, database? What do we got?
0: I mean, if I could share my screen, it'd be fun, but, uh, <laughs> we, um, yeah, the notes are massive, Johnny and Terry. They, Um, we basically take feedback and we pull it together. And then I take it one step further and we do a survey. And this year we had 49% of the master and junior players respond. Um, so, which is, I mean, off the charts, that's half of the people took five or six minutes to respond to a survey and somehow 18% of our members can take 10 seconds to vote. And so anyways, um, I did do some giveaways. I gave away some discs, Mm. but still, I mean, I guess the PDJ needs to up the ante and start, you know, enticing people. But I'm just kidding. But um, we have a pretty big list of things that we can improve on every year. And we we work on those things. You know, when we ran Glow last year, the big thing that came back to us was, you know, why didn't you paint the circles for the AMS? So we did that this year. Mm. Hey, you know, why didn't you have water on every fourth hole for the AMS? Wow. (laughs) That's a lot, but yeah, okay, we'll do that. And so, um, and, and this year at master junior worlds, the biggest complaint, which was, was the, didn't the pros get a player pack. And it was like so bad that it was Hmm. some of the feedback was best event ever, but the worst event ever, because we traveled here as a pro and didn't get a player pack. And I thought, huh, we put, you know, the added cash was $50,000. But they're saying they're not playing for that reason. They can't cash. They're there to, for the perspective of a professional. But that's their perspective, and so they're not wrong, and I'm not wrong. And so, if we ran the event again, we'd try to do a small player pack for them. So mm, um, that's, that's interesting
3: you know. feedback, and maybe maybe that's I, been just a staple of Worlds, even when Johnny yeah. and I played in ten or fifteen worlds you you just you did get a players pack
2: i I think as you know if i were to go play mp40 um i would like a single like a single disc with the event stamp like cool just to prove i was there or something like that something you know because you can always buy them but as a players pack i think it would be kind of nice to have I, i i can understand that i don't know if i would complain about it if i didn't get it but I understand, like, oh, it's kind of nice to get a, a an event some stamp, memento, some of memento, sorts.
3: yeah. Okay. Um. Unfortunately, it looks like your internet is. Um... You must
2: be in his. Uh, <laughs> his <laughs> there you go. Your, your your internet's a little shoddy there sometimes, Nate. Uh, there I've, you go. <laughs> I've dealt with Terry, I think, in that same office, and <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. So, um, I heard. So I. So
0: just to correct Johnny, not not to correct Johnny, we had the feedback during the event, and then the last evening we sent the players an email saying show up to the pro shop and get the swag item that you so desire yeah. so nice um, so we tried to take immediate feedback oh so that's live and learn
2: yeah exactly I, I would be as as a player i would be like cool that's awesome thanks for listening honestly
3: yeah um so d glows in the books uh any quick takeaways from D-Glow? I mean, we quickly recap the the MPO action uh, just a moment ago. Of course, we just talked to Natalie, but any cliff notes or, or major takeaways from D-Glow?
0: Yeah, I mean, from the inside, um, it was just an honor. I mean, that we had so many, you know, you talk about European Open spectators, um, but um, I would say that Sunday was probably the largest U.S. audience that's ever witnessed disc golf in person, ever. Uh, I would say it rivals the 2014 Pro Worlds and and even 2015 Ledge Show. And when we kind of that was you know the first time that got big, and we had sixty five thousand dollars of added cash when the biggest yet had been ten to fifteen, and people were so curious what this Lake Eureka was about. I mean, that was we had about twenty five hundred that day, but I think yesterday. Uh, I I think Sunday we had about 2,700 paying spectators um, and then we had kids and you know, uh, that for me was the biggest takeaway was um, disc golf is here to stay. And in fact, it is, it is growing.
3: Yeah. And the, the toboggan has become now this icon and is historic. And I guess, is there, is there, you know, anything that you learned when looking at, you know, the three new holes that were put into play and just the overall feedback on the event, how, you know, you guys added cement T-pads out there a couple of years ago. Is that, will that continue to evolve that course in any way? Or is it kind of set now? Is it going to, is it going to play like that for a couple of years? I mean, Bob and I, I mean, Bob
0: already has asked me twice for the stats. I ran the regression analysis tonight, actually. And so we have four or five things we're you know, we're, we'll look at for next year with some, Holes that you know maybe either played with you know too little scoring separation or maybe played too easy or too hard. Um, you know I don't think the course needs to be any longer personally, um, and so but I do think that we may need some more scoring separation on a few holes that played maybe with too many pars. So I, that's what we'll, we'll focus on most is how can we make sure there's scoring separation.
2: I, I love that, and it's funny because I I read an, uh, a comment today uh condemning you particularly nate saying nate heinel just can't leave a course alone every year it's got to be something different and we get a new course record because the course is different and all i keep thinking is yeah they keep tweaking it to make it try to make it better like isn't that what we want don't we want the optimal the best course um so i i I did get a kick out of that which is funny because i just heard your interview i think on ultra world saying more or less that like the, Ure- the Eureka course is set. That's that's what it is. It's not changing, but Northwood maybe adjusts.
0: You know. Yeah, we haven't changed Eureka in like five years, and maybe I moved to pin back on fourteen like three years ago. But and then Northwood, you know, we we just cleaned up the rough and then made two par fives probably a half stroke easier. But um, bring, bring back the volleyball
2: a... hole. Bring back the volleyball court hole, please. Mm. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Don't don't Pre- go there. I, I have nightmares. So. <laughs> Pre COVID. Pre COVID. People don't understand that but us.
3: Yeah, this is why I leave him at home, Nate. So uh uh let let's let's speak then a little bit uh before we get into Ledgestone. Let's well no, let's get into Ledgestone. Ledgestone, uh, uh essentially a week away really less than that if you start thinking about the extracurriculars of course we have uh the Mid America taking place on the Silver Series this weekend a ton of our players have already uh found themselves over there they're competing and then they come to Ledgestone you you anticipate people arriving to town Saturday Sunday Monday what what do you, what do you anticipate and talk about some of the numbers from both pros and ams
0: Yeah I mean we already have pros here I mean I've already had Uh, Brittany and Chris Dickerson bothering me in my office today so with their dog so so if if you're listening Brittany um but no I mean we we already have people here we have people from other countries already here I mean we have the activity starting Saturday my I mean I left DGLO 40 minutes after Calvin putted out and drove straight home and Made a wrong turn after I talked to you, Terry. Drove towards you on accident for a half hour, so got home about two o'clock. But I had staff arrive yesterday for Ledgestone, and and they needed direction. And so my main core staff got back late, you know, um, last night. And then we are we have our biggest drop of the year on Thursday, actually, as well with forty thousand discs dropping
3: on my boxes. birthday. Oh, that's so sweet! I can't wait to get that coupon of- code.
2: Oh, I
0: thought you were going to get for a five hundred dollar
3: gift certificate Wait, for my birthday. Once.
0: Show that again once. Um, well, that was the Paige Pierce one. This is the Paul Macbeth one. Um, if so those are
2: gorgeous, so. I'm sure Terry has told you we are not above being bought. So, if like <laughs> some of those happen to fall into the studio, I wouldn't complain.
0: Mm-hmm. So Terry has made very yeah, Terry has made very clear that for the right price this can be the the ledgestone propaganda show so
3: oh yes <laughs> um, it, that that price
2: is small
0: you've already too. made a
3: down payment that's been very clear to our to our guest here uh, uh <laughs> so uh, uh tons of drops tons of things uh flex starts ice cream socials uh other <clears throat> other uh charitable things going on kind of kind of give a quick overview and yeah and do you have an app yet come on do we have, do we have an app for all this stuff yet
0: Uh, Wow. Yes, I do. It's called the Ledgestone app. So you can go to the app store and download Ledgestone, but you have to be, you have to get the password. So from us, because you have to be a member, a player, one of the 2200 players, by the way, um, or one of the 600 VIPs. um, But um, we have 11 flex C tiers, two ice cream events, two food events, which is complicated for 2000 people. Um, We have dunk tanks and glow events and charitable contributions to St. Jude and the Paul Macbeth Foundation, um, all kinds of stuff. So really, I mean, it's really an experience. It's not just an event. We obviously have the pros competing for a $150,000 purse, but we also have a lot of activities going on. It's a huge economic engine to the community, to be honest. So Um, hotels have been booked for months. There's not an Airbnb available for 30 miles, you know, so, um, it really is overwhelming to say the least. I mean, I, I, I really don't sleep for, for 12 days and that's how it goes.
3: Yeah. It's, it's become quite the monster. Uh, I mean, if we're really just putting it out there and, and of course there's, there's some, draws and similarities that we find with some of our other really large scale events. Of course, you just hosted D Glow, which featured some of those things. Um, some who maybe haven't been there would liken it to what they've heard or experienced at a at a dynamic disc open with, you know, lots of C tiers and flex starts, uh extracurriculars galore and like you just said, disc dyeing excuse me, uh disc dyeing classes and vending opportunities. It's it's uh, is it is it the I mean it's the largest scale event of the year. Uh, is there anything else you can compare it to in terms of energy and effort? I mean, even outside of disc golf, I don't, I don't know what that would be. But is it, is I mean, it like the know, equivalent of a marathon? I guess maybe is what I would say. I mean, I would
0: say it's the equivalent of a, a large music festival that just can you know d- that has the main event right that that's the pros playing, and then it has all of these little side stages where you can you know, go get your disc dyed or you can dunk Jeremy Culling in a dunk tank or get a signing from Paul Macbeth and wait an hour or, you know, wait in line for eight hours or, you know, Ben Askren's going to be there and you can ask him to, you know, punch you in the face so, or whatever, <laughs> right? So um, I'm
2: just kidding. So but, <laughs> That's a um, new feature. I bet you if you asked so, him... Do you think you could sell tickets to knee him in the head? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Jeez. I won't I see him for like another year, so I'm cool. Uh, I He'll think forget you're about uninvited.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. It. It's. It's clearly this uh, incredible task. And then maybe the last question on is when it's all said and done, and we talked about the model a little bit. Wh- what is what are your staff and volunteer numbers look like when that's when, when just to give somebody else a scope sure. of, of what we're talking about?
0: Uh, 82 staff members, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and then 225 volunteers. Um, and then thousands of hours throughout the year on coursework. Like right now we're not, I mean, it rained two and a half inches today. Our courses were looking pretty good. Not the mm-hmm. right time to have two and a half inches of rain because it grows up all of that stuff. I don't want to have grow up. So, but we'll be out there with our heavy machinery, getting stuff ready the rest of the week. And, you know, that's uh that's part of the task, but I mean, it's really a full-time job to be honest. I, I spend, I work full-time in disc golf is the bottom line.
3: Yeah, I would, I would think, and I, I mean, I'm just throwing out ideas. That's what I am. And I'm an idea, man, I don't do a lot, but uh, I don't know. Some inflatable rafts might be in the player packs, you know, some people could just do some floating down the rivers or, or hanging out in your fairways that are all... It sounds like there's going to be plenty of water and rain out there. Ooh, ooh. Are we are we selling... I, that's what I'm doing. I'm selling spots for spectating out at Lake Eureka. There's... I have another actual bright idea that I'll share with you offline uh, about Glow. But anyway... All right. So enough about you and the hard work you do. It it, it genuinely is appreciated, and I know our our pro players have, uh, you know, this this week long extravaganza to look to. Our our amateur players do as well, along with the vending and everything else. Uh, you wear another hat in terms of being on the board of directors, and as it's been beat into our largely our member base over this last month, is voting has taken place. Up until 11.59 Eastern Time, Sunday night, and uh, about, I don't know, 30 hours ago, we saw the election results. Talk to us about, truly from an inside perspective, like... Talk to us about that process in terms of, you know, a third party who they're reporting to, who looks at it, who who assembles what, who shares it with the world. Kind of just break down that that process.
0: Yeah, I mean, the PDJ uses a third party company. None of the board or you know ha- has access to the data whatsoever. Um, none of the staff have access to the data. Uh, I I won't say the name of the company, but I mean, it is a Minion. third
3: party election company. <laughs> I I won't. I'm just saying. I it, there was internet voting, and I just had to ask if they were involved.
2: You almost killed. Or me.
3: Chavez? I don't know. Anyway, okay, go on.
2: Wow. Well,
3: Maybe not. Uh... Maybe you guys use someone else this year. I don't know where you buy your pillows. Okay, go on.
0: We. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not. Um, yeah. Uh, I. Wow, I don't even know where to go. With That's that. all yeah.
3: on me, folks. <laughs> Terry, I, I mean,
2: sometimes I feel like I derail the conversation. Terry just <laughs> threw that one off the tracks. Let's let's
3: start Reset. Right, reset. Start reset. over. Right? Start over. We'll okay. How how, out, how does that happen?
0: <laughs> the, yeah, the companies don't get their pillows made in in Giza. I think right the the Giza pillows. So anyway, so yeah. um, we pay a company, outside company. The results come in and they get validated and. Um right now, anybody can run for the board. So the current process uh doesn't even require you to be a member for more than one day. I mean, you can run for the board and put your resume in, and it, it's member's choice. So um, you know, my response to the results was disappointing at the turnout. as I said, I sent out a survey that was 20 questions long for the world's competitors, and we had 49% response rate. So to only see of our members vote after four or five emails is honestly shocking for, you know, I mean, the last few days, I've averaged 50 emails a day on a various topic, you know, and so for our members um, to be outspoken about certain things and then not vote, just uh, honestly, just makes me frustrated. But, you know, that is what it is.
3: Yeah, and I, I know I danced around this last week uh, a little bit, just in, and I I do feel like it's a valid question, and I feel like there's some comparison that needs to be had. I wonder who who we all but eliminate in terms of an expectation from our voting, you know. And last week I know we said, you know, our, our junior player base is 6,700 deep, and I'm not suggesting a 17 year old can't read and make an informed voting decision, but. Conversely, the four-year-old that's never played in a tournament but got signed up for the PDGA and renewed from their parent, um, I don't expect a four-year-old to to necessarily be casting a, a vote either. And then you think about tournament directors, husbands or wives that you know are just really a member because they host an event. And then you think about – somebody said it perfectly today. They're like, hey, if your ratings keep coming out and nothing's going crazy, maybe the membership just says, eh, everything's fine. I don't really care who's running the ship. It'll just mm-hmm. keep running. And there's some people that for that reason dismiss voting. I mean, I would love to see a greater turnout as well. But like I, I don't know what that that what that, what a good number looks like. I, I don't
2: know what a good number looks like, but I think a lot of people join the PDGA because they like to play tournaments and they don't want to pay the ten dollars.
3: And that's and, and they and, may not care about and, any and, and they leadership. Don't, they don't roles. care about the
2: leadership because honestly, to them it barely affects them. It they they're gonna play their local events and they're going to play their local tour Five, six, eight, ten times a year, and they don't need to worry about that because things will just happen. Maybe they don't care about the pro pro game. Maybe they don't care about you know in general the 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 little bitty rule changes that happen. They look at it and they go, "Oh, okay, yeah." That's I
0: think that's. I mean i I think that's seventy five percent of our members. They could care Mm -hmm. less. I mean, so Johnny, you hit it on the head. My our research shows that our members care about one thing, and that's playing sanctioned competition mm. and getting a rating and, and that's mm. about it. So, yep. you know, the
3: which is fine. Like you
0: and I, that yeah, which is great. So,
3: you know, I, and, and, and I guess I, you know, again, I have a personal bias here in that I have daughters that are 11 and 13. They probably won't play a sanctioned event this year. And I just sign them up every year. Cause I like the idea of them or me in this case, supporting the PDGA and they won't play a single event. And so, I'm not necessarily ex- expecting them to cast a a well-informed vote because they just simply they don't know and don't care. So that's why I sell their votes every year. So next year, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> uh, so clearly uh, a conversation that was, I, I hate to call it a, a, a single um, issue voting, you know, scenario this year, but a a very, very, very topical conversation is our, our transgender athletes that are competing right now. Of course, we just had a very open conversation with Natalie a few moments ago who fits into that category. And we also saw today both releases from the Disc Golf Pro Tour and from the PDGA, I I read the emails, but can you summarize or explain what what we saw in those emails today?
0: I mean, the bottom line is, um, for for a period of time, the IOC had said, hey, we're going to release guidance on this issue. We're going to release guidance. And um, that came this last February, and they essentially punted the decision kind of shockingly and said, our hands are clean we're not doing anything about this it's up to the the various sporting organizations so organizations like the PDJ had been kind of waiting to say we're going to follow IOC policy which we've been doing we have followed I mean I voted for the current policy that we have in place back in 2018 19 that follows IOC policy so that was kind of a shocker for them to say we don't have a, an opinion so good luck basically and so um that's my assessment of it and so we Uh, very quickly uh, set up a medical subcommittee that's looking very hard at this issue. And we, I hope to have their report. And I know they're, they're working hard at it, but I I hope to have that report in the next, you know, this year, I, I would, I would say, I hope it's sooner than that, but um, so we can give our members some clarity on where we're going to be going uh, for the 2023 season. And that may be nothing. I mean, there may be no change. I mean, there Mm -hmm. may be, um, uh, you know, anywhere in between. So uh, I've seen people say a lot of a lot of things. So,
3: so and and just to be clear, or clarify for everyone out there, you know, a, f- a few months ago, the the PDGA essentially, as you're just alluding to, came out and said, "Hey, we no longer have specific guidance from the IOC. We've been using them. Um, we're now going to create our own subcommittee." That's going to to pull in a number of people, a, a lot of professionals, researchers, doctors, all these different people. We're going to pull them in, research it, heavily look at it, and then and then submit a report and the findings back to the board level. So this is a subcommittee that's going to then submit back to the board level. And essentially what they did today is, in my opinion, is they said, hey, guys, just so you know, we're doing all that stuff and we're still doing it. And so just hang tight. Nothing's going to change before 2023, no matter what, no matter what we do or don't find, nothing's going to change. But we hope to have a report to come back to you with. Is that is that another way to word everything you just said?
0: Yeah, I think the reason for reiterating that stance is honestly, I mean, we could say it once a month and people would still say, what is the PDJ doing about XYZ issue, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's the reason for reiterating that because yes, we're looking at it. Uh, the committee has very qualified professionals every single every single member outside of one on that committee has an md in the field that matters here and then we have one more md who doesn't but is considered an expert in the sport of disc golf so we have people who are very knowledgeable looking at this very closely and um you know ultimately you know ultimately at the end of the day it's the board's decision and so the committee um, is obviously advisory, um, but the board obviously will take whatever they say and to, you know. Obviously, that will be very important.
3: Well, and I think that becomes another interesting point, and maybe the, why the the board of elections uh, results and or just the board in general is so crucial. Because then, I guess I would ask you: you we just talked about assembling this very, very qualified, very insightful, researched, brilliant group. Is it fair to say that whatever they come up with as a recommendation that that feels like it should be all but a rubber stamp for the board to just follow that recommendation? Right. That's the whole point of a subcommittee or not necessarily.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, everybody has personal biases. I mean, I can Mm -hmm. tell you now that no matter what the committee says, there's probably a board member that would vote this way and no matter what the committee says there's going to be a specific board member who i know would vote in the we're we're keeping things status quo obviously and so sure. uh, so you know i am somebody who is very interested in not just the scientific data but i'm honestly as interested in hearing from specifically the fpo competitors so you know if it, if we have scientific data that maybe is you know which in my opinion we're not going to get a definitive answer because there's not enough data. We don't have enough competitors that we're able to study over a period of years to even determine this in my opinion. So um I'm sure the committee can still give us something hopefully, but I'm more interested in hearing as well, you know, what do our competitors think? If it's something where it's 50-50, then I think that would that would be tough to probably you know look at, but um, I, I think I'm very interested to hear what our competitors have to say about this and I, in I that think, division, not
2: the male <clears throat> competitors. So, <clears throat> I, I think it's interesting because a lot of people are talking, are speaking like that, saying, "I really want to know what the FPO field feels." And I agree that that is important, but I also feel like this is this is a decision that will affect the entire sport of disc golf. Like we saw what it did with swimming, national news. This this, you know, depending on which way we go, and I, I don't obviously have an idea, it could affect sponsorship. You could look at someone like a we'll just throw out uh, the guarantee mortgage, guarantee rate, whoever the big sponsor was last year for the pro tour finale. If they look at whatever the decision is and they don't agree with it, they could pull their money. It's like, cool, thanks. We're not we're not interested now. If this is a this is a decision that not only affects the FPO, because If you look at the FPO and and you weigh it like this, you say, hey, um, if you vote this way, we get X amount of much money. If you vote this way, Mm -hmm. we are only going to get this amount of money or and we don't know what that is. There's no way to know that in the future, because until the decision is made, we can't say. But but I think this is a bigger this is bigger than just the FPO field, but it, it it involves the entire sport and and that's a relevant
0: point but we don't want to get to the situation where we don't listen to our players and then Correct. live golf and, and then and then live golf happens right and and we don't listen to the FPO players if they even feel the way that some people feel they feel then live golf happens and some group comes in and all of a sudden the PGA tour is now fractured by mm-hmm. this outside organization and so because maybe they didn't listen to their players and they weren't paying them enough or whatever it is and in this sure. case that's why I want to hear from the players because, you know, if if it's split or, or whatever it is, I think that's very relevant, but I yeah. still would love to see as much scientific data as a, as there is, you know, available Agreed. to us.
2: I, yeah, I completely I mean, agree.
3: Yeah, and clearly Johnny nor I, who hold no official positions in any capacity nor have any influence, um, you know, ha- have to sit back and at this point react to what is – is uh presented in and unfolded in uh the decisions that are made but um yeah i i i think one of the biggest takeaways for me and you know i I reiterated this with natalie and i just think in general is i i i personally and i know i'm going to get hate for it i personally do not believe the entire subject is as black and white as so many think that it is and and uh, you can take that however you want but to me there is a lot of gray in a lot of the area and and i i feel like even maybe natalie would agree with that and i don't want to speak for her but i just in general it's to me it's not black and white like so many claim and and it's very sensitive and it's new i mean let's let's be real here for all of us there's a lot of sports that are making a lot of different semi similar or semi different decisions about how they're moving forward. And obviously, swimming is the most recent, but there's a lot of other sports that are continuing to look at their policies. And where do okay. we fall in line yeah. or where does our research go? I don't know. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say it, it's disingenuous for anybody in disc golf, Natalie or somebody on the other side that would say she has a major advantage. It's disingenuous for them to say it with confidence mm-hmm. that there is or isn't an advantage. They, I would tell both of them, you, you're wrong. We, we don't have any definitive scientific study. Even swimming, when they came out and, and made this decision that you have to transition by,
1: I think you're saying by puberty.
3: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, you hung up on us for a second, Nate. Hopefully, you come back here.
2: Yeah, it's gonna glitch out here for a second. I like to kind of do this.
3: All right, there, Nate. Sorry, you you were saying you that said, if they you said transition, transition by. by...
0: Yeah, I said, you know, swimming, when they changed their policy and you had to transition, I think, by the age of 12, you know, they said there was some data behind that and that drove their decision making. But, you know, they didn't release that data. I mean, as the PDJ, we would love to see the data Mm. that they're using. And I mean, they're not releasing it and other organizations are keeping it tight to the chest, which means, you know, whatever that means. So, yeah,
2: correct.
3: I, I. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say I don't envy any of it, but it's clearly something that we're all working through as as both a frisbee family, but also as competitors, but also hopefully as compassionate humans and and understanding that this is this is these are all new newer territories that we're wading through as a relatively young sport. I mean, you think about so many other sports that are out there, and then you think about disc golf's only forty five years old and and having these conversations have really only been brought into the spotlight in the last few years uh it's it's uh it's it's all very heavy and and very delicate to work through that's for yeah, sure yeah and
0: i would i would say one more thing that that i think is very relevant the people um that want to you know limit participation for transgender athletes in the fpo division uh some of the vile things they say uh not only are vile but it hurts their credibility immensely and honestly makes it less likely that you would see you know um any sympathy towards them and and it could influence the decision the other way and so seeing hateful comments honestly makes people say man you know what May- i mean i want to have sympathy and empathy no matter if i feel this way or that way and so seeing some of the vile emails that i get which are you know, Nate Heinold, you're disgusting because you allow blah 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 to compete, and it's like, wow. I mean, that's that's like to me. I don't understand that at all. That's wow. not going to help. It, if they want to make change, that's not going to help their position. So,
3: I mean, it, it it comes to me that continues to go back to my other large talking point was. Let's discuss policy. Let's have adult conversations. Let's look at researchers. Let's look at uh, you know, professionals that are dealing this, and then let's have conversations that surround policy. Let's not bully the person or the people that are currently following the rules. That's that's my take on it. And that even and that's a, will get yeah. blasted as well, and that's fine, but that's my takeaway.
0: And that's a good take at the same time with what I just said that we should be you know Natalie is following the rules, so is any transgender. they' are following the rules that have been set out by the governing body of the sport um and the people attacking her you know in those ways they're hundred percent wrong at the same time um it is not it is not automatically transphobic or wrong for someone to say that this person may have a competitive advantage to me that is not wrong to have that debate. I think both sides need to come off of these positions of if you say that somebody could have an advantage that does not mean you're transphobic on the same side saying vile things is disgusting and that is not going to help your case at all in fact it means that you should be deleted off of the chat as johnny's been doing
3: well i mean it's <laughs> all we're all, not all, here all the
2: mods tonight
0: have yeah, been helping and we're out not quite a
3: bit and i guess to that point i think that's you know maybe you could speak to it or or, or maybe we could blather on about it but We've seen this earlier. The the disc golf pro tour specifically, and I believe the PDGA followed a very similar protocol of when things are posted to social media accounts, including including sometimes YouTube or Facebook or wherever. You can have conversations, but you but not in a in antagonizing and in a in a bullying fashion, and and we know as per even a few people on our chat tonight. That they they don't they don't make a distinction, and you just want to throw out free speech, and you, that <laughs> with free speech, you think you can say whatever you want. Unfortunately, that's just not the case and and someone who's hosting on that platform, whether it's the PDGA or the pro tour, does not have to put up with you being a bully, and I think just people can't wrap their head around that and, and uh, I,
2: I hope all those people that that are are yelling free speech. I hope they let their eight and 10 year old kids talk to him any way they want.
3: Yeah. Free speech <laughs> free speech, mom.
2: Yeah. I'd have got, I tell you what, I'd have four knuckles across my cheek if that happened.
3: <laughs> at any rate. So um, yeah, if, clearly uh, big moments and, and, and as you've, you, you have no idea at this point And, and, and even if you did, I know you couldn't share it, but right now, the subcommittee is working on it. They're going to report back, and then we, we go from there. That's where we're at. So if, if you're at home right now calling for an immediate change tomorrow or next week, it's not happening. And if you're, if you're saying, well, in a month, things are going to be different, and we're going to go retroactively take away a title from Natalie Ryan, that's not happening. They, they've made it very clear from months ago that things are being looked at now, and at earliest 2023 is when if or when we would see any change and i just i i just can't state that cl- more clearly to everybody so
0: yeah and i and i would say my goal will be to be as transparent as possible if there is a change or if there's not a change i will want to try to give as much information as we can and why that decision was made i'm sure that the lawyers may tell me otherwise, but I would love for our members to be able to know because th- this is going to be if it comes to the vote and we have to make a decision, it, it's going to be I mean, it's not going to be it's not going to be fun. No one. I mean, I don't want to have to be in that position to look at the data and potentially, you know, go one way or the other. But that's the that's the you know, that's the job. And so. I will want to try to get as much out there as we can, but yes, the the timeline you stated uh, is correct. And, and I obviously hope that we have, you know, information sooner than later, but I also don't want the committee to rush the job. So.
3: Well, as I've said before, I'll let those professionals do their job, do their work. And uh, I'll be excited to see what the findings are when they come back with them because I'm not about to interject uh, any anything where I'm going to actually be useful or uh, I, insightful to the, them.
2: the The only I don't say problem is the wrong word. The, the The only issue that I see happening is if the PDGA addresses it and we don't see it and we don't see a change, we're never going to hear the end of it. It's that's just the way it's going to be because. As as long as it happens, it do, it's not going to matter to some people, which is unfortunate. And we we'll be able to point at the rules for the rest of our lives, just like we do this year. And I think that you're still going to get people that are going to scream, "PDGA needs to change the rules," even after they make a decision. Yeah. No, so yeah, I and mean, and that's fine. I'm I'm still mad at the PDGA for changing the Masters age from 35 to 40. Yeah, and that was from, done in
3: 15 years, 18 years ago, 20 oh, years ago,
2: 20, 20 yeah, 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> uh
3: nate i i think because you are here this is a, a and, and we are you know largely talking policy a lot of people will naturally go to you, you know the the a conversation that we had just a week or two ago with one of our uh, elite level players getting disqualified and and i don't want to go to that specifically at all what i want to go to though is the policy surrounding how that gets dealt with on a very generic level. I, I, I'm not even concerned about him. I'm concerned about what does the disciplinary policy and procedure look like? I think this is a great opportunity for us to share with the world because, again, a lot of people have it twisted as to what they think should happen. How does the entire process unfold?
0: Yeah. Um, who are you talking about? So I, I'm, I'm going to pull a Terry there. So I'm just kidding, yeah. so. see if
3: I'm on no. the list. I should yeah, be suspended um, yeah. probably. You stole no, you a disc, be, I, heard. I heard Yes, yes. Yeah, I was I stealing discs. Steal, from the, the disc I was from the stealing discs on uh on hole three this weekend. That's what I was doing, right?
0: Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Don't you know that was my ESP force in the woods? No, <laughs> so uh, probably. Nate,
2: Nate, we, yeah, we need to talk about this because Terry was giving an unfair competitive advantage to Paige Pierce by helping her try to find her disc. Not every group gets uh, that. Not every gets,
3: group has a tear bear running every, around in the woods. I'm,
2: I'm just saying that we need to address this uh very soon before this gets out of hand.
3: Yes, suspend me. Yeah, so I'll be don't, bring, don't make every, me walk that not course not again. Be just suspend me with the Smashbox
2: <laughs> disciplinary committee.
3: <laughs> All right, let's let's talk to, about to the answer, process yeah. though.
2: To answer
0: your question. Um, you know, a TD or an official at a tournament uh, has the ability to, um, or or somebody affected by the you know that that uh, incident has the ability to turn in a discipline complaint, which goes to a volunteer committee um, that answers to the PDGA board um, and subsequently the PDJ board president. So the, the staff is not really involved. The committee looks at it. The chair of the committee is. As unknown to the public, it's listed on the pdj site. We keep uh, the rest of the members of that committee private for you know security reasons to be honest, just if if there's mm-hmm. a suspension and we don't want members to be attacked online or you know in person, I suppose, but um, they look at it, they will immediately do a very short investigation of the report, and if they find it credible. Uh, they will vote to then look at the case or not look at the case. And so um, that's the process to even start the process. And then once they've agreed to look at the case, they will pull together the evidence um, with statements, potential video evidence, um, if it's available, which is rare, to be honest, but um, statements from the accused of any witnesses, uh, the chair pulls all that together, sends it to the committee, they review that based on guidelines that we have posted, class A suspensions, class B, et cetera. Um, you know, everything is in there from intimidation uh, of an official to, you know, to cheating, to um, re- you know, requesting a refund that you weren't entitled to and not giving the money back to the TD, which we've seen a bunch of those cases. Um, they make their decision, and then it comes to the uh, board president to confirm that they made the correct decision. Um, You know, that then, the member then gets a letter uh, that says they've been put on probation or suspended. And and if they don't get suspended, um, then nothing comes of it. Um, That member then has the right, I think, 30 days to appeal. If they appeal, it then goes um, to a few members of the board who review the case more in depth, um so the board president really just confirms the decision that they followed the guidelines um though the board president could determine that the punishment was too severe or not severe enough and make up his or her own decision um but the appeal then you know could be for any reason um the committee also could look at mitigating factors did the person apologize immediately did they show remorse those kind of things
3: Okay so just to be clear for the world this is the policy this is the procedure for any scenario uh this is how things get played out and i think there's a lot of people that feel as if there's uh it's kind of it you pick and choose in which this procedure unfolds and you don't this is how it always goes you know in taking the steps that you just described and so um, I, I think correct. that's worth sharing, and and of course we've had a high profile player that may or may not be involved in that in some capacity, um, but I do think it's important because there's a lot of people wondering how does the process work and what will happen from here, and and that's exactly where we're at. So,
0: and and the process some you know sometimes takes two to four weeks, and, sure. And so just sometimes people don't respond, um, and mm-hmm. we give them. 72 hours to respond if they choose not to respond that that you know it is used in their case obviously so it, if they choose not to you know give information that's relevant so
3: uh and and this is kind of a funny side note that uh first of all uh everyone that's on any form of probation or suspension is currently listed on a disciplinary chart that is uh, accessible by anyone uh it's out there on the PDGA website uh it doesn't take much to find it i i came across it just the other day and and maybe this is of note Nate what what's the number one reason that people are suspended or put on probation uh,
0: cheating unfortunately so um and it's very easy to track nowadays because we have scoring apps and we can see if people are changing scores and, and and maybe you changed it once and yet a reason and that makes sense. But um, if your group says you're cheating and they have a, a scorecard to prove it and we can see in the scoring app that you changed your score four different times, but nobody's up, you know, nobody else's score got changed. You know, we're going to present that data to you and you can choose to to, to deny it. But um, you are not innocent until proven guilty. Um, that is not the law doctrine that we have to follow. So. Um, you know, and so if there's enough evidence, um, you know, and it's overwhelming enough, there's you are not automatically innocent in, mm. in terms of discipline. Um, this is not a court of law, you know, and so or sure. um, private organization. If they're very, yeah. com- yes, if they're very confident that you did this, um, they don't have to prove their case, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. So.
3: Uh, I thought what you were going to say, honestly, is that, uh, and maybe it, maybe it's because it's lessened throughout the years. It felt as if for many years the number one people reason people were suspended was uh, a a person runs a tournament and then fails to submit either the tournament results and or the money that's associated with running the tournament. It's it's not uncommon for somebody to host a B tier or a C tier, and at the end of the tournament, not only do they have to you know they used to have to do a lot more work, but they'd have to submit a few things to make the tournament official and then send in anywhere from two hundred to five hundred dollars depending on what they collected. And we just found yeah, a those, lot of tournament directors uh, yeah. you know <laughs> didn't budget correctly or or got tripped up at some point or 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 took that money to other nefarious places. I don't know. And uh, next thing you know, you you you're given some grace period, but if you don't get it submitted, same thing. You you ultimately go through a much uh, this process of getting suspended, uh, and it's an easy yeah, fix cases, usually. But right, yeah. So that's not the most common anymore.
0: Those cases don't even come to the committee anymore. There there there's too many of them from mm. from what I remember, and so Ish. those are handled by the office. Just because if you don't pay your fees, we we, we give you time, and then you are suspended until you pay them. So uh, that's an automatic thing that the office handles now. That would be way too much work for, because that's a cut and dry thing. Hey, you owe $1,000. You haven't paid the fees. You know, you that doesn't need to go for review. That is a black and white situation. So. Sure.
3: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> as you said, there's, there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, subjectivity to that matter. It's, hey, you owe, you took too long. You still didn't pay. You got an extra chance or two. You still didn't pay. All right, now we're just suspending you. Yeah, and uh, I do feel like that was very much a, uh, unfortunately, is pretty common.
2: Somebody asks... The other most... Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I said the other most common one is the whole, wow, I withdrew withdrew from this tournament two days before and that TE decided to give me 50% of my money. Click, I'm going to do a PayPal dispute and I'm going to get my money back. And guess Mm -hmm. what? That is actually a suspendable offense. So um, until Mm -hmm. you reimburse the TD, because if they choose to follow the PDJ refund policy, which they are entitled to, and I encourage them to do, um, which I just saw Teraberry post about a whole sponsorship (laughs) issue, which I do the same thing. So, you know, if you sponsor a hole and you want to back out, we've already printed your sign. You're going to get that sponsorship. So but uh, that is the other most common thing is people who try to pull, you know, pull that stunt basically. (sighs)
3: Okay. Yeah, and if there's a way to circumvent the rules, unfortunately, somebody will. But the problem is with technology, timestamps, computers, and everything else that we've kind of referenced. Yeah. uh, Yeah. You you can't be quite as sneaky or slimy uh, today as you could five or ten or twenty years ago. Has
2: the with the newfound cash coming into disc golf? has the PDGA looked at monetary fines for issues that we see on the course implementing any sort of you know oh that that's a $1000 fine if you're caught cheating or something along those lines have has there been any discussion about that
0: uh, we have not discussed that at this okay. point in time so no and i know it would be very I difficult think, i think that would Only makes sense at the pro tour level, to be honest. So, and that'd be more of maybe a pro tour specific policy, you know, a a DGPT specific policy, but sure, that's totally just, uh, I've never heard of even the pro tour considering that, but that's not on the PDJ's radar at this moment. So, okay. That makes a lot of sense.
3: Um, (laughs) only because I posted about it this weekend. (laughs) who Who has the conversation about the thirty second time violation and and this has nothing to do with uh Europe or any other player This is a very very generic conversation because I have often been frustrated, and what's becoming more popular I feel like is is competitors are often exceeding thirty seconds because they're using a range finder or some aid of that nature they're not con- not really taking into consideration by the time they've grabbed their range finder, got their distance, put their range finder away, got their disc, set up, gone through their routine, they're at a minute and 10 seconds or a minute and 20 or 210 or 55 seconds, whatever the number is. They're not doing it within 30 seconds. I love range finders. I'm not opposed to them. And even if I was, they're not going away because we'd find other GPS mechanisms probably. Is there any conversation about that, and and if so, who has that conversation?
0: Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is that using a rangefinder does not give you extra time. So I gave two players um, this week at DiGlo time violations. So um, I have no problem putting a watch on somebody if they're using a rangefinder. I love uh, Bushnell and what they've done in the, in in the sport, and they're uh, they're they're great for the sport of disc golf, but. Using a rangefinder does not extend your thirty second window. Um, you have to, um, you know, that time of getting your distance is part of your thirty seconds. And so, um, I have no problem making a call with that because I can't stand slow play. I don't like five hour rounds, um, and so I get up and I chuck as as a player myself. That's what I do. I don't expect every player to not take that much focus obviously but um I do expect them to follow the rules and so that is a policy that would you know we have a rule book and we have a competition manual and those kind of discussions would would be had within the rule committee and the competition committee
3: okay okay and and I'm again it this that was a generic comment um i it's becoming more common and i'm not I'm not equating that to the to the person that's in the nastiest of rough off the fairway, and for the first time in the entire round, they arguably took thirty four seconds. That is not what i uh, i do i do not equate that to the person that, as I described, uses a range finder in a wide open field they do it every hole every other shot and everything is taking a minute and 9 seconds to me those are not those are not the same conversation pieces but Hey,
0: hey hey i don't dis. i i don't only design courses that take five hours right? I, I see that comments so i know i was you
3: know. gonna say you don't like you don't like that and now we're playing northwoods that's like northwood black
2: and and, and ledge still or not ledge glow and eureka yeah no, let's no, just no, take eureka. eight and a half
3: hours at northwood black they love that i we all love oh. that
2: Hurts. It hurts. Getting killed. Getting North-
0: killed out here, folks. Niklo, <laughs> the last round for MPO was three hours and ten minutes. Last yes, year MPO Eureka was two hours and fifty seven minutes. We won't go into the Northwood <laughs> round time as though we are they are gonna be better this year, so just mark my words.
3: No, well, I, yeah, the, I, the, we joke the about the last it. round that Eureka was canceled. Yeah, I don't think you can add that into your into your averages. Last, that one took zero minutes. The, la-
0: the last round that we played in in full, Terry. Hey, yeah. hey, you. <laughs> I know you're going to be here soon. I know what, what what makes you tick. So just calm, oh, down. Yeah. <laughs> calm down. All right,
3: we'll we'll see uh, about that. Uh, Nate, uh, do do you have anything else to share with the world? Uh, and really, I, I mean, I, I leave that as uh very open-ended, it could be Ledgestone. It could be PDGA. It could be, um, insurance. It could be, um, your sister's great cooking and baking. I I don't care. Do you get anything to share?
0: what's insurance i'm not sure do i still do I, I'm not I, sure I don't know I do you do still that?
3: sell that I, G- give us give I, us the I, the 10 second insurance plug here i mean we're here for there's it there's
0: no insurance <laughs> there's no insurance plug to give the plug i will give though is that we are trying to raise a lot of money for charity this year again okay. and we have our largest drop of the year on thursday night um, you can go to uh our Instagram, click our link in our bio to get to the the St. Jude website where you can donate to St. Jude to get the chance to make a purchase early in that drop. But we Mm. clear Malta But we have wonderful discs that we're dropping. We have 30 different molds and Yuli molds, Macbeth page molds, all of the above Zuka carts, range finders. So uh, the purpose of that drop is to, raise over a hundred thousand dollars for Saint Jude and, and the Paul Macbeth Foundation and to support the efforts to continue to push the Ledgestone added cash and, and to the next
3: dot
0: com is where you can you can show up to work next week and I'll I'll hook you up.
3: All right. I like it. We'll make sure everyone gets out there again. Yeah. You, you have, what's the total number in terms of uh, charitable contributions in the last six or eight years combined? Uh, St. Jude, Paul Macbeth, uh, foundation and others you play, what, what's the, what are the totals?
0: I'm going to you know? look it up, but it's uh
3: $382,000. $382,000 has wow. been, uh, has been coll- uh, collected and then uh, and then dispersed to various charities, largely being St. Jude has been your biggest recipient over uh, throughout the years over there, St. Jude uh, Children's Hospital. So it's it's so awesome to see those additional ties and uh, you know co- community outreach locally and you know with what Macbeth does and and worldwide. It's uh, it is truly incredible. Mm. Mm. we cut out on him yeah uh, i'm guessing uh i'm guessing his mother chimed in nate nate sweetie pie has uh <laughs> has to go has to go uh, night night here pretty soon um but we're, all right
2: all right we'll cut that thanks a lot nate he might jump <coughs> he might hop back in but we're just going to kind of call it for now um much appreciated for all the input that nate has given us uh in regards to TDing and pdga policy. All, basically, anything you want to know, Nate has information on it.
3: Yeah. So uh, make sure you check it out. Uh, I, yeah, I think wanna, you can go
2: right to the Ledgestone website. Is yeah, that right? For,
3: uh, I believe. Let me double check should, on my it, connection. Yeah. If you go to com, it says the drop, August 4th. The drop. I, okay. I'm pretty sure I'm going to put the link in the YouTube chat there, uh, but it is the drop on August fourth. Sounds like uh, sounds like where I was last week, uh, in Illinois. You were at the drop, <laughs> Six Flags Great America. But that's another story. All right, um, I think that is uh, that's good on Nate's end. So Nate, we do appreciate it. Sorry, it sounds like you're you ran out of internets at uh, at Ledgestone, uh, <laughs> over there, but. Certainly looking forward to it, and um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to have a unique role. I'll personally just say uh, next week I am not scheduled to be part of the Disc Golf Pro Tour media team. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, I will be out of your hair, Johnny. Whew. And uh, I, I will be helping Nate and the event crew. I've, I've had a long history, well before he was on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, I was doing work with Nate and this event uh, very back in the in the very, very early days of this event as it spans more than 10 years. And so uh, excited to be part of helping out. Last year, I even had a, a goofy role in that I was there for a couple days, did a few things, and then I had to leave for my uh, half-sister's wedding. So I wasn't even there for the conclusion. But according to Calvin and Ricky, I didn't miss much on that final round. So uh, no. It's cold. Yeesh. All right, so we'll, we'll have a definitive winner, hopefully, this year. All right, I think that's, uh, that's it for uh, actual real business, as far as I can tell.
2: We got all the real business done, didn't we? We,
3: we certainly did. I think we got plenty of information out there. I also will have um, lots more to talk about. We'll uh, chit-chat here in the after show. But I think in terms of the regular show, unless you have anything wild or crazy that we have to touch on, Johnny, you don't. I don't. Okay. Either do I. We're going to call it. Uh, we're going to head into the after show. If you've been here before, I'm sorry. And if you're new here, well, when we head into the after show, we usually... Usually, largely separate ourselves from uh, the, the more the slightly more serious content that you find in the regular show. Uh, we could still get into some other topics. We read things off the message board. Uh, we always read the things off the super chat even faster if you're looking to put it in there in the message board. And some of our topics will be both disc golf and non-disc golf related. If you have something for us, put it into the chat and we can react accordingly. Or we might ignore it if it's, if it's ignorable.
2: YouTube chat. Preferably, yes. That I mean, is we, we the, do see the, the other chats, the but place. you will not get to interact with other people; they so, will not see you. And
3: there were at least postings of a lot of people saying that they they had a a tie or a vested interest in this evening show, and and a lot of them saying even from an international perspective. And some people had said they set alarms so that they could partake in in watching and listening to the conversations tonight. And if Good. you did that. Uh, bless you. Uh, hopefully we provided some insight and hopefully we uh, we touched on the subjects and and um, had an enjoyable experience that was as uh, a, adult and civil as, as we could bring for you. So we do appreciate anyone that would take that kind of dedication to set an alarm in another country just to get up and listen uh, to what we had to say live.
2: And I'm going to be spending the next... Two to four days, as well as you will hopefully monitoring the comments on this podcast. Yeah, and, and, and YouTube, uh, and unfortunately, not some, just the live chat, but the
3: comments. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's easier just to turn them off. And again, we don't need to go down that whole free speech, speech uh, censorship argument. But uh, if you don't, if you don't bully anybody, you you don't get your comment deleted. That's kind of usually how it goes. So we appreciate you. You may not appreciate us, and that's fine, too. But thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you to Natalie Ryan, our champion at DGLO this last weekend. Congrats, of course, to Calvin Heinberg and, and Corey Ellis, who put up the fight that he did. Uh, congratulations to Calvin, though. We just had him here in studio a few weeks ago. And uh, I'm not saying it's a Smashbox bump, but he was here. He literally he spent the night. Yeah.
2: And then went to Europe and came back.
3: Yeah, Yeah. negating that 12th and 8th place finish. Don't worry about those. But uh, Nate Heinold, also thank you for wearing the hat of tournament director as well as uh, PDGA board president. We appreciate the additional insight we got from a PDGA's perspective. For Johnny V, I'm Terry Miller, the Disc Golf Guy. That's been Welcome to the 414 Podcast of Smashbox TV. We're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be back with our after show. We'll see you then. You step inside the Smashbox.
2: Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashboxtv.